Welcome to episode 384 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 384 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. Uh, how you going, mate? I'm very good, and you? I'm pretty excited, to be honest. Do you know why? You can't hide it. I am yep. so excited I can't hide it, because we're pretty much already done today's show. I know, it's good. But we're doing Legends today as well. We are. And we have been getting emails from people saying, when's Legends happening? It's still October. It's, still it's a monthly show. It's a monthly show. Last month it came out about this date. Yeah. And who we got today on Legends? We have got Kenny Souza. Now, for those of you who don't know who he is, just give us a quick wrap up. He is a probably the first legendary duathlete, and arguably the only. Well, there's probably a couple of other legendary duathletes, but he was big in the 80s and 90s. A lot of flair. Used to race in bright, sort of bright. Pink. He's the one with the glasses, eh? Yeah, and long and, hair and like bright pink speedo and top, and so he'd do duathlons and speedos and top, like most people did back then. Uh, just a real character. Duathlon. Was never the biggest sport, but it's really died, hasn't it? Like it doesn't even exist now. Oh no, it does. But yeah, okay. it's, it, it, no, I, I wouldn't say it was ever big. Oh, okay. Uh, so I think it's similar to what it always was. But they did used to have a series in the states. Yeah, but like, uh, who, okay, you would have known of Kenny Swisser at the time, wouldn't you? Yeah, but I wouldn't have known hardly anybody else. But who do you know now in duathlon? Uh, well, there's the Van Stellent boys. Um, there's a guy who Bart Arnotts who did well in Kona. But yeah, it's, it's similar. There's always, there's maybe one every now and then that comes along. So it's never been a big sport. But he he was a, a big character and really gave duathlon a little bit of profile. profile. Okay, uh, I have talk is proudly brought to you by coffeesofhawaii.com. If you wake up in the morning and you want that fresh kick of the day, get it. Athlinks.com. Put your results up there. Join our team. Dream endurance, galactic buffer, training peaks. It's where you put, where you find out how great you are or and not. And SLS tries. Even if you're not great, you can look good. Mm. So this week's show, guys, we're, we're pretty much in a, it's an interview show. We've got some news. We've got well, bugger news to be honest. Yeah. And then we've got two interviews. Jumbo, who are they? We have Bob Sebahar, a fantastic interview that really rounds out a lot of the nutrition stuff we've been talking about lately, which I thought was a it's a really really good interview. Yep. And then we also have. Catherine Foe, who is the world... How do you get Foe out of that? See, I'm not a very good reader, John, we all know this, but F-A-U-X? I don't even know if I asked her if I pronounced it right, but I'm almost positive that's it. That's Frenchy. So, yeah. Is that French, is it? Yep. Mm. You don't pronounce... And a lot of French, you don't pronounce the last letter. In so the why word, have the letter? Unless it's followed by a vowel. Uh, ask the French. Mm. As someone who wasn't very good at reading and spelling... It's hard to learn the rules because the rules always contradict themselves. Jesus, mm. oh, hard work being me, I tell you. Questions and answers at the end, guys. It's <laughs> hard work being you, yeah. 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 It's, it's a hard life I lead, yeah. I tell you. It's on my shoulder, my knee. Oh. Oh, poor me, John. Oh. Okay, uh, first of all, the very first piece of news John's got here is very, very little news, John. It is. Just pass me those tissues. I've just got a few, <laughs> few things I've got to wipe I need in. a hug. Yeah, the very little news. Very, very little news. The only piece, a couple of pieces that I came up with was Challenge UK is moving. Been at Henley for several years and they've made an announcement. Did you read this piece? I did. What does it say? Well, it says it's moving, but it doesn't say where to. So. And why are they moving? Well, they, they had challenges this year. The challenge had challenges. We talked about that. I think the local residents are just yeah, but getting we, but didn't, didn't, didn't we go and scheme, like, hack the Eblem and remember they had a poll? 
on oh, this yeah, with some, there was some newspaper article. Yeah, the yeah. local rag. Yeah, so it's moving. They haven't said where. They've said a race date. They've said they've got a fantastic new course, but they just haven't haven't said yes where yet. So could be good. Because sometimes have a drink and then look at the bottom of your cup and go, "What was in my I cup?" Always do look that. What's Devin. in the bottom of my cup? Yeah, that's disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Bit of. I just drunk that. Yeah, bit of lime in there. Is it lime? Is I it? I don't know. I watched Cup it. Bit of calcification from your kettle. It's from the kettle. Yeah, it's from your kettle. Yeah, well, I die. Yep, yep. Well, it's just been nice knowing you guys. Yeah. If this is the last show ever, it's been nice you knowing you. Had too it. much carbs. You had too much of that. And you're just, <laughs> just going to die. <laughs> well, apparently you are allowed carbs now, John. <laughs> you guys are about to find out. Uh, I did notice you had quite a few carbs in your breakfast this morning. Oh, that's all right. It's nice. More than a handful. I more than a handful. I had a banana. I had an apple. I had a couple of strawberries. I had lots of nuts. I had a few cashews, a few almonds. What was the other nut? Hazelnut, hazelnuts. How much does your breakfast cost you? Doesn't matter. That's going to fill me up till lunchtime now. Uh-huh. Um, Dawson, such a tight ass. <laughs> I'm not such that coming from ass. you. <laughs> Pot black. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what, Dawson? What's happening? Oh, try running. Foot season, everything today. Uh, we, we're on fire. This is going to be a great show. Yep. I just got the feeling. Dawson's done a bit of an update in terms of his top athletes, and despite having a woeful Kona and not even finishing. Andreas Raylert stays on top. His rating is 8.16. So that basically gives a, an average of all the races that he does based on how hard they were based out on the competition. So it's a bit of an equaliser sort of formula. And he's got a four-minute lead over Lanos, who's an 8.20. Crowey's dropped down a little bit. He's had two bad Konas, and he doesn't do any other Ironmans hardly in the year, although he did Melbourne this year and last, but he's only doing two a year. So he's only... He's only got 10 Ironmans. You know, he's going to go down as one of the greatest Ironman of all time. And, oh, he's only yeah, done, and he's only done 10 Ironmans versus, say, you look at uh, Timo Bracht, uh, who's done 20. And Pete Jacobs isn't even in the top 10. What's all that about? Well, he hasn't done much this year. Yeah, I know. But he's still, he still won last he, year. And then and then the year before that, he was second. Oh, is this, is not, then, this an, is, is it an annual thing? It's uh, a good question. It's a good question. I think it could be. Uh, I think it could be overall. You know, Freddie Van Leer only gets seventh. Yes, He's the current world champion. John. Yes, uh, Timo Bracht fourth. Craig Alexander was third. Sebastian Kienle was fifth. Marino sixth. Van Leer seventh. Bart Arnott's eighth. Faris Sultan ninth. And David Dallow tenth. What about David Dallow and Kona? Did he race? He did not start. I think oh. almost possibly didn't start. He was down to start. I uh, don't know, quite know why. Your side of things. Gil side of things, he's got Marinda Carfrey um, on top and with a 9.07. Yvonne Van Vlerken in second, 9.12. Yep. Just six seconds in front of Caroline Steffen. Rachel Joyce is in fourth. Jody Swallow, somewhat surprisingly, fifth. Liz Blatchard, sixth. Uh, both those girls have only got three results to their names in their Ironman careers, and Liz Blatchard's all in one year. Marybeth seventh. Anya Berenik in eighth. Lucy Gossage on the show a couple of weeks ago in ninth, bit wow. of a surprise there, yeah. and Lindsay Corbin. You, you tell us something about this, Bevan. I want to see if it's just this year or if it's uh, I think it's not because if you look at how many races he's got there, it must mm. be average over a period of time. I'm sure Thorsten will let us know. Because we made a mistake last week. Apparently on when you're looking at Thorsten's stuff, we said last week that when you see people's names from Kona in green, that that was faster than they were expected, but it's... 
I'll explain that next time it comes up. Yeah, you still don't even really figure out. I had it clear in my mind, but I'm having a brain freeze. Beach the Battleships coming up, John. Yep, just another small (coughs) non-WTC race, and that's about it in terms of most of our news. Well, the most important news is, John, last week on the show, at the end of the show, I threw out this crazy idea. And some people have said... OMG. Some people, John. Oh, no, some people said, OMG, <clears throat> Bevan has actually had a good idea. Back it up. I've had lots of good ideas. <laughs> That's what somebody said. Oh, the show was my idea, John. See, someone said that. Legends was my idea. Said, something's wrong here. Bevan's had a good idea. <laughs> Mr. Love. Oh, I'm an ideas guy. That's what I do for a living. <laughs> um, so so I, put it on, I put it on Facebook and I basically said, hey, Bevan here, I'm wondering if you would be interested in my $30 raffle to win a Kona 2014 experience. If we were to head of it, would you buy a ticket? And we had 125 people people come back saying pretty much I jump on the experience to, to get the chance so so we've been doing a bit of thinking about it and we're not going to kind of clarify exactly how it's going to work but we think there'll be around 500 tickets for sale yep at $30 a pop um, it's not going to be a raffle it's, it's going to be a, you, you'll sign up to be a voluntary subscriber to our podcast and it'll be a $30 voluntary subscription that's basically so we get screwed by PayPal no, it? no, it's uh, because so we don't break the law in New Zealand. Oh, really? Yeah. Why, why can we do it as a lottery? You, you can't do a lottery or raffles. You have to be in an incorporated society or you have to you have to register it and all that sort of stuff. So it's a lot easier if we just say it's a voluntary subscription. You pay $30 and there'll be a prize drawn at the end of, uh, whenever the, all the tickets are sold. And so what, what we're looking at doing is that there'll be, a, you'll be $30 a ticket. You can buy as many tickets as you want. It'll be the mm-hmm. first in, first serve. So we'll put 500 up and it'll just be the first 500 people who have gone on and bought the tickets. Then what we'll do is we'll allocate each person numbers for their tickets and then we'll end up doing a draw on the show. Ran- random.org will do the draw. Oh, I was thinking we could do a, like do a wheel. All oh, right. Yeah, we should make an event out of it. You know what I mean? Like okay. actually do a spin wheel and there'll be five numbers, maybe just a one to ten yeah. and just do a first, you know. Maybe we can have a second and third prize. I could rustle up a bit of stuff for a second and third prize, just a dummy prize. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. And so then what will happen is um, you'll get basically $2,000 US towards uh, flights. Yep, so you get $2,000. And if you can get it for less than that, it's cash in the pocket for you. Yep. You'll get accommodation. Accommodation, and we will sort you out for – A food uh, allowance? Breakfast will be with the endurance – most likely, I'm just finalising details with Endurance Sport Travel, but they have a breakfast every every morning down somewhere sort of yep. near the pier, and then we'll just sort uh, – all the other stuff will just be on a card at Lava Java, so you can yep. go in there, and it's going to be good times. And we're not sure about what the experience will be about hanging out for us. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure. We'll, we'll figure that out as well. But yeah. so basically, that will be going. Basically, here. flights, accommodation, and food, and then you might get a few other bits on pieces. And we on might top. try to see if we can skim a, a VIP pass, but I'm not no, sure. If I that's wouldn't go promising that. <laughs> well, we can see. We're going to see if we can, but we're not going to promise it. But we might see if we can look into that. I'm going to say it's not going to happen. <laughs> you don't reckon we have to get one? No. Why not? Where are we going to get a VIP pass from? The WTC. Okay. I'll leave oh, that no. one to you. Okay, I'm going to do it. WTC, we know you guys listen to the show. Someone from WTC, give us an email and let us know what we need to do to get a VIP pass. Like, Trish, give them out. Trisha and um, yeah. what's the Aussie guy's name? Yeah, I can't remember his name. Oh. Nice guy, he always smiles. Really yeah. nice guy. Come on, John. Sorry, I've forgotten your name now. He's brilliant. He's a really nice guy. every year. Meet him every year. But anyway, um, oh, my knee. Um, but surely you can get a VIP. They give them out to corporates. You put it out there. Okay, I'm going to do so. Okay, I'm going to see if I can get a VIP. So, um, yo, VIP, let's kick it. So we're thinking we could probably get this done by the end of the year, eh? I'm hoping so. Yeah, so once we've clarified, if I can get the VIP, if the travel side of things done, 
and we'll put it out there. And again, it's just going to be first. If you want to buy a hundred tickets, you yeah. know, it'll cost you three thousand dollars, but you probably still make on it. Yeah, yeah. If you win, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, one in five chance. <laughs> but uh, you can buy as many tickets as you want. And again, once once we get to five hundred, we just stop it. It doesn't go above that because it's not about making profit for John. It's just about covering all the costs. And then we'll do a draw on the show. It's going to be pretty exciting times. That's right. It's good times. That's all I want to talk about. Show's finished now. Cool. Okay. Discussion a week, John. Yep. Last week we had a discussion. And to be honest, this one went on fire. And I, a lot of people obviously just see the Facebook post and all of a sudden they get fired up and they don't listen to the show first. But there were a lot of comments. 103, 100, no, about 108. Not a lot of people wanted to buy the Ironman Blender. No, I don't know why. Because I actually bought it, John. It's amazing. <laughs> or, or Best blender ever. Or the scales. Scales. It just seems a misalignment. You know, just, like, have you heard, like I love marketing. I always read books about marketing and branding and all that kind of stuff. And when, and it's called line extension. It's basically where you basically it's like when Coke brings out Cherry Coke, or you know when they start to extend their one brand, mm-hmm. and it actually ends up hurting your brand because it doesn't actually reinforce your brand's message. And when you think about scales with Iron Man, sure we want to be lean. But it's not. It's not. A, you're not going to buy a scale because it's an Iron Man branded scale. You're going to buy the best scale out there. It doesn't bother me that they they brand it. To be honest, it's more the way they try to sell it. Like they almost not sell. You know, when one of the pros is saying it's trying to sell you, saying their heart's not in it, and just with the blender and the scales, I'm just like you're putting me off it rather than actually wanting to buy. How many? It. People, how many do you think they sell? Oh, I've got no idea. But if they had it just as a straight ad, and the ad breaks, probably wouldn't have bothered me or other people. You know, like the specialised ads didn't really bother me that much. I mean, obviously we're all like less ads, but um, I understand the economics of it all. But just when they're just trying to sell it there, it's just, oh, yeah, but it's was painful. This, was this a product that they? They've produced themselves, you know, because often it will be like in the old days you'd have, you know, the Blue 70, it would be Iron Man branded, but it wasn't yeah. their business. It was just that they licensed it out. Yeah, I'm sure it's just a license. But it I'm didn't sure seem it like be. it with this one. It didn't say like, you know, the Iron Man blender bought to Maybe you. it's a really good license. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Okay, so we got a lot of we got a lot of feedback. So the question was, after watching the coverage of the World Champs over the weekend, we were wondering what you think would be the one thing that the WTC could do to improve the coverage. And we were looking for things to improve, not what you hated, but let's <laughs> we've got heaps, so let's just pull up a few. Sean O'Porno, and this is a very <clears throat> common one that goes across uh, a lot of them, GPS tracking and splits. What about a ticket along the bottom? For the guys at the front of the race, I would seriously question how much time we actually saw of them as a proportion of the coverage. It was mad. 10 minutes of Starquits on 180k bike, no run coverage until halfway. It was so blatantly advertising focused, you had to cringe at the moment's watching Trek ads with a specialised logo over the top of it. Uh, it's no wonder they struggle to attract sponsors if you can do if you do that to them. Commercial breaks are okay as long as they don't interrupt meaningful content. Yeah, um, we've got Alan Ward here. He's saying employed Dawson. He did a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary Fegan wasn't happy because the race was scheduled on his wife's birthday. Oh, we'll reschedule the race, please. Yeah. Oh, man, how selfish was they? Jeremy Filbert has got more shots of spectators than bikinis. Back it up. Back it up, sexist pig. Sexist pig. <laughs> yeah. 
Gavin Rogers, the blog updates were more informative than the live feed, um, with with Yvonne Van Vlerken posting the fastest bike split and a poor swim. Should have been seen her moving through the field and the battle she had with Liz Blatchford at the end of the run would have been exciting to watch. Okay, here's, here's a nice one from Dave Hayward. He's like, I did enjoy the coverage. I did wish that they'd have a camera for the last 200 metres of the run. It always seems that the leaders go into the black hole for 60 seconds before the finish line picks them up again. Mm. I know it's a long race, but... What if there was one out there to see the sprint at the finish? Just because it gets really narrow through there and you've got the crowd and I, I guess, you know, if you had a motorbike right in front of them through there, there's, there's almost nowhere they can pull away to... But, the, but that's just... You make it work, it, don't you? You make it yeah, work. Solutions, yeah. team you solutions. Just have, a, just have a few fixed cameras down there. No cool. chocolate milk ads mm-hmm. from John Simmons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Peter Colson, after increasing cameras to about 10 um, from the four they did use, give two options for coverage. You get free, which is you know similar to what they've had with all the rubbish commercials uh, and the guys that clearly didn't want to be reading them. Agree with that. Or you pay $10, no commercials, and you pick the camera you want to watch out of the 10 cameras. Nice, which you can do with... Bigger sports and and a lot of the digital TV these days. Rich Walker's got um, he didn't didn't mind the commercials. He's kind of they're going to make some money somehow. But the camera work was awful this year. Transition was seen from a helicopter one bike camera repeatedly panning away to the left when the athletes were in the right. Allegedly, it was a seventy seven twenty p on my PC. It looked very much like a four twenty a four eighty. That's about the picture quality. Uh, very grainy. And don't ever show shots of commentators. Picture in. Uh, picture if if you must not instead of the race going on so yep um, Jeff Martindale for me I have no problems with the ads someone has to pay for the broadcast I prefer ads over a subscription fee I love Greg Matt and Michael's commentary but not sure what Chris McDonald added he looked out of place and uncomfortable the one thing I would suggest though is that when uh, that when Greg is commentating that he has his that he finishes his sentence and thoughts before re- uh, before reacting to a camera change. Cool. I don't think Chris did a bad job. No, I think in general, I think Chris is good. We just got to get rid of that American accent. <laughs> he didn't do a good job of selling a blender. No, I don't think anyone would have. Um, when it comes to coverage of focusing on one uh, athlete, it'd be good to see um, the graphics like the America's Cup. Oh, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Now, for those of you who've seen the America's Cup, although that would have cost a lot of money, yeah. But pace on the swim, uh, power, speed, and heart rate on the bike, power and heart rate on the run, more splits, less focus on the leader at all times, and more browsing through the field, rest of the field. Don't mind the commercial breaks. Um, on eight hours thirty into race. Imagine if someone like Larry Allison said, "Iron Man, bugger that! I want to see Iron Man go global. I mean, not go global, yeah. go big time. Check a hundred million. Here's, at it. Yeah, five ten million. Let's see what we can do. That, imagine what would happen then, uh, R- R- Ricardo." Cordiolo. Sorry, Ricardo. I've got 50 that. here, John. We're still going to Okay. We'll do one or two more. Pros should be obliged to disclose all data. When the coverage is focusing on one athlete, we could see the live data and graphics like the America's Cup. Did you just read that one? No. No. Oh, well. No. Two, not, two people have been watching the America's Cup. Pace on the swim, power, speed, and heart rate on the bike, pace and heart rate on the run, more splits, less focusing on the leader at all times, and more browsing through the rest of the field. Don't mind the commercial breaks on uh, an eight hour 30 race with free coverage. Um, I'll do one more, John, and I'll say I'm going to go with um, Mary O'Leary. She says, I understand that the coverage has to be supported by advertising. I think they've gone too far, though. Back off them on making presenters say the title sponsor name every time they mention World Championship. Ditch the blenders and scales. I'm happy with the coverage, interrupted occasionally for ads. Hmm. John, you want to add one more? Um... I'm going to disagree with David Peacock here. Commentary seemed amateur. We really need someone with more charisma, for example, Phil Liggett. 
There we go. I just I I thought the commentary is okay. Yeah. So I think. What do you see improvement, John? You know, I think the size of the audience is a lot smaller than what we probably think. I'd love to know the numbers. Yeah, like I, I can't see them making profit off this day no. from the from the, the coverage. Live coverage. But then they need the coverage for the NPC, NBC. Mm. Is it NBC? In, uh, a change. I'm pretty sure it's yep, NBC. Yep. But coverage. yeah, I guess that that you know you got to look. How, I've got no idea how much more it would cost to have more cameras on there. The camera work can improve, but it might just be astronomical to have more cameras. Who knows? But I think there's a few simple things, and I think you alluded to this last week, they could do. Is that, that a great idea I've had? That would be for the pretty inexpensive. So a lot of people here are saying, you know, the, the, <clears throat> the GPS tracking should be better, or there should be GPS tracking. So that's, well, that's the thing. That's a basic one. That's easy. Yeah, yeah. They do it at other races. People pay fifty bucks to get a little chip. You say pros, you've got to wear them. Yeah, for, for the for the bike and the run, that's a no brainer. So, like, if you look at fifty bucks, and they'll probably shoot, they'll get a good deal. If we look at that company we were talking about a few weeks ago, yeah, it, it wouldn't cost them anything. Wouldn't cost them anything, and you know, it might be a you know five thousand dollar investment to get. But that you say you you pay for you, your sponsorship as you cover the pros, and then we offer it to all the other age groupers, and then yeah, you, and you, you make the money from yeah, that, yeah. and we advertise you. So it's that's a no brainer. If they didn't go down that path, you made a point. Why don't they have more timing mats? I'd be satisfied on on in the race if on the run they had a timing mat every five k's. That's yeah. going to be enough splits if you get a split every five k. A good split every five k. Because time mats can't be that expensive. No, and it's 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 pretty straightforward. Yeah. So that would be an easy thing to do. And then on the bike, maybe every twenty k, and then at least every, I don't know, twenty minutes or so, you're going to get an update of exactly what's going on. A lot of people talked about the leaderboard here, and there was actually a leaderboard tab there that I found reasonably useful this year. So it wasn't going into the live feed, but you could actually get the leaderboard action. So I certainly think they made some improvements this year, but I think there's some really simple things they could do inexpensive to get better coverage the camera work and stuff like that that may just be astronomically expensive and I think they know all these things it's just I don't know how big the audience is yeah Yeah, we really one of those things you know private company we're never going to know but I do think that we need split screens um, and and even just a couple more cameras because the problem is they have to be off the leaders don't they and so you know there's two cameras taken out and you know and Mm. you've got one hit in the sky and it's like a lot of the racing's happening behind the leader. But if you fact, you know, if they pull over from time to time, you know, like they're just constantly on Starkowitz or something, why don't you just go out the road, pull over, and then just have them all come past and you can just see, right, oh, there, there goes, there goes um, Pete Jacobs, he's sitting in fourth wheel. Um, it just seems, some, some of it seems just a bit odd to me. And, and I guess that could be the cameraman may be inexperienced. They might not understand what the sport's all about. And they just think, right, that guy's leading. He, you know, there's 20 guys directly behind him, but that guy's the leader. So he's in first place. On the advertising side of things, I, I, I actually don't mind if they're going to make some money off the advertising. They need to be able to pay for this. But at the same time, I think what they did is the, the air brakes were way too long. The air brakes seemed to go for like probably four or five minutes, it seemed. And maybe it was because I was impatient because I wanted to see the race. But maybe what they should have is when the ads are on, they should have a tracking screen as well. So maybe mm. you have the ad takes up two thirds of the screen, and you have, a, you know, maybe you have the video coverage, or maybe you don't. But maybe you have at least text of what's coming through. Because you're more likely to sit there and watch it if that's happening. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a tough one because it was just like I don't mind there being ads. It's just that they you go to ads and it just take forever, mm. and you're just like you know you're interested to see what happens in the race. Don um, Don Dyer was saying female commentator. Yeah. I, 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 I agree. Yeah. Um, I find it disappointing they didn't have a female. Mm-hmm. I thought the guys do a, a reasonable job for. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's just come on. Mm. You know, like, yeah, yeah. so female commentator definitely. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I think overall they do a pretty good job. 
It's free. We're, we're still a minority sport, and I just really do wonder how big that audience is. <laughs> John, actually, another piece. Okay, so any, wrap it up for that. Wrap it up. I just because the, the question was one thing, and if I said there was one thing, it would be GPS tracking. Okay. And if they couldn't do that, the timing mats. Yeah. See, that would be fascinating. Hmm. You know, if you could have GPS tracking, you could actually really watch the race hmm. as it's unfolding. Hmm. And then you would, probably wouldn't be so reliant on the video footage. Hmm. I would love to see all the power and heart rate and all that sort of stuff, but we don't see that in the Tour de France, uh, and that's a gigantic thing, and that's because I guess people Do don't want to it. In they, Tour de France? Yeah, to a degree, you know, because they're all together. It's there. a different race year because they're yeah. all racing together, aren't they? Yeah. But, yeah, it's just... And they've got a lot more cameras there, haven't they? Mm. Jumbo, this week's mm. discussion. You can discussion. Veto it. I didn't have a great one this week, but you can veto it if you want. No, I'm not, no, 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 I haven't really thought about it. Okay. John's discussion is should the top five athletes in the age group get a Kona slot for the following year? Because we interview good old Catherine later on, we find out that they only the top age grouper gets the slot. So they get to defend their titles. So should the top five in their age group in Kona get a spot, automatic spot for next year? If they win, do they have to pay for next year? I would almost 100% guarantee it. <laughs> of course you do. And we should have, I didn't ask the question whether you need to validate or not, and I, I, I kind of get the impression you don't. Yeah. yeah. Jumbo. Bevan. I read an article about the Triathlon New Zealand. What's happening there? Did you read that? No. The Herald? No. It's not going too well. It's quite critical. Yeah. <laughs> Very critical, actually. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not going to go into that. I probably know more than I need to know, but probably not too surprising. Apparently Triathlon New Zealand is not in a good place. <laughs> Right. In fact, we'll leave it at that. Sponsor, John. Just refer people to that article. Uh, sponsor, Extreme Endurance. Now, this year in Kona, they had some outstanding performances from Extreme Endurance athletes. Yvonne Van Vlerken, smoking it, running up to fourth place. She was. She's made some big gains this she year. She really has, because she kind of fell off the wagon for a bit, and then the last couple of years, bang, she's back. Because that year we went to Roach, she smoked my ass in, in Roach. And had a good cone. had a good cone of finishing maybe second top or third. third. Yeah, top three. And then, yeah, as you said, she sort of dropped off, and she was a, ended up being one of those sort of fifth through tenth athletes in Kona. But, you know, she sounds like she really cramped up a bit there in the last section of the run, but was really on, on, on target for a really, really solid race. And she's been a big believer in extreme endurance for she was one of the sort of the original athletes so she's been around for a long time as and, and along with uh timo brach who had a great race in kona as well finishing a time of 826 so only about 14 minutes off off the win and yeah so if you want to get on the extreme endurance go to xendurance.com be like yvonne and timo remember the code i am talk five and i was chugging away after exploding on my ride on sunday i was chugging back a little bit of the old uh execute loving that stuff so if you want to check out the execute i've had several athletes have been trying it really effectively in as a, as a pre-race uh load and also you know as as a recovery for training so it's a bit of a protein sort of lactic mix so check it out and it's all on xendurance.com and if any kiwis want to get extreme endurance now i'm basically stocking it got to get it up on my website but you can just email me but I've got a I'll have a constant stock of extreme endurance just the extreme endurance tablets uh, but it's coming into summer so good time to crack into it good times John you got the quiz in there oh this was sent through from Thorsten so I thought I'd just chuck this in we're a bit short on we're not actually short on info today but no. came across an interesting piece of information maybe you want to use it as a trivia question during the show so here we go Crowy is the oldest Kona winner in 2011 at 38 years who was the oldest on the female side? So we're not this year, just the oldest ever. Hmm. Okay. Who is the oldest ever female winner 
of Ironman World Championship. We'll come back to that later in the show. Mm. And before we do, we have an interview with John Boat. We're gonna put, we've got two interviews today, and we're going to do which one first? We're going to do Catherine Foe mm. coming up. She was the fastest age grouper in Kona, setting a new fastest time ever over there. And just in general... Fastest age grouper time, fastest female time. But what's really fascinating, John Levinson from try247.com has a great article on her. And what's really fascinating about it is that so now that he's basically called this article the greatest age group performance ever, and he's got that's a bold claim, a high bar. But I believe that there's certain significance, uh, significancy or whatever valid, that validates the statement. Have a look at the evidence. Catherine won the age group of 25 to 29 by more than 33 minutes ahead of second place. Massive killing. Mm. She broke the previous age group record by 30 minutes. And it's the second fastest age group record, so across any age group, by 18 minutes. She also broke, yeah, so she just, that was a stellar performance. Mm. That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. To be 33 minutes per head of second place in Kona. Mm. And then, wow, so this girl is smoking. She is smoking. And we were luckily, we've got her on the show. So we're going to chuck her on right now. And uh, here's Catherine right now. Righty-ho, uh, we have a special guest on the show today. Special guest, John, yes. number two. And according to John Levison from try247.com, she may well have, or no, in fact, she did have the fastest ever time by any age group athlete in the history of Ironman at Kona this year. Uh, her name's Catherine Foe. Hopefully we got the surname pronunciation right. She went in Kona, she went 59 minutes in the swim. She calls herself a crappy swimmer, but that's still not too shabby. Yeah. Uh, 5.04 on the bike and 3.05 run for a 9.15, winning the 25 to 29 age group and winning the overall age group and as well. And top 10 overall. Yes. Wow, um, man, it's mind-blowing. Welcome along to the show, Catherine. Thank you. Um, how has the trip been home? You were telling us a little story on, on as your journey home uh, from, from Kona to, to the UK. Uh, yeah, it was uh, sort of pleasantly uneventful. It was just really, really long. Um, Hawaii is pretty much the furthest I've ever been from home. And um, yeah, I was just saying that things that take a really long time, I kind of compare them with what I could achieve in that time, like in terms of marathons or Ironmans. And an 11-hour flight from LA, you can do an Ironman uh, if you're quick. Uh, or like the five and a half one just to Hawaii, you could do like a marathon and a half. So, uh, yeah, just a really long time, and I'm, I'm not very good at sitting in a seat for that long. And you had to go through LA Airport, which is... Painful. Painful. Painful, but we had, like, a 10-hour gap between the two flights, so uh, we managed to get out and oh, get some really good coffee and, and get out in the sunshine. So that was okay. Not okay. so bad. Good. So... Um, yeah, when John wrote an article on you, I think it may have been last year or early this year, and, and I had a bit of a scan through that. And um, a lot of people, when they hear about age group athletes smoking it, they go, oh, this this person must be an ex-collegiate swimmer or ex-flippin' Tour de France rider or ex-top-line um, marathon runner. But it seems for you that you don't really have much background uh, in any of the three sports, and you only started in 2009. So maybe tell us a bit about where you've come and um, and. Sort of what got you into triathlon? Um, so I just thought it kind of looked cool. Um, I still think it kind of looks cool, and I don't really count myself a triathlete, although um, I guess I am kind of officially now one. Um, yeah, it, it just sort of appealed to me. I decided when I started uni that it's a really good opportunity to try loads of different sports. So uh, I decided I was going to try something new each year, which has seen me trying uh, 
fencing and lacrosse and circus. Um, but the triathlon kind of stuck. So um, I'm still doing that a few years later um, and still loving it, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I didn't really do. I mean, I was always kind of sporty as a kid and I was in all the different teams and stuff, but I didn't really excel at anything. Um, like I just kind of was like jack of all trades, master of none, as some of the best triathletes are. And, um, yeah, we, we had uh, Lucy Gossage on the show a few weeks ago, and um, and then obviously Sporty Doc, Tamsin Lewis is a bit of a friend of the show as well. So mm-hmm. what is it about the, uh, the medical fraternity? Because you're a medical student as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, I'm not sure, really. There are an awful lot of, um, of triathletes in the medical world and medics in the triathlon world, um, which is pretty cool because it means that when you're on placement and the medicine isn't very interesting, you can just chat to your consultant about triathlon. But it also means that I don't learn a whole lot because um, they're usually quite interested in, in what I've got to say about triathlon. Um, I think that for me, it's the uh, like frustration of being cooped up. But to be honest, in most jobs, I'd probably, I'd probably get that same thing. Uh, but you see so many unhealthy people that it kind of makes you really value health and you just want to go out and enjoy it, I guess. Um, I don't know whether it would be the same reasons for the other guys, but, yeah, there do seem to be a lot of doctors about. You, you, last year you had a pretty great result in Kona as well. You know, you got second in your age group in Kona last year, which is, you know, a pretty amazing achievement in itself. But it seems like this year you had a massive, like, a massive step up, you know, to get top 10 overall based mm. on times is, is pretty impressive. What, what do you think was the difference between last year and this year? Um, I think it's just uh, another year of, consistent training I've been really um, I've been really blessed that I don't really get uh, I haven't had any like injuries or anything so far um, so it's just it's just been more of the same really um, I don't think that I've done anything particularly different but it's just another year of experience and another year of racing and and last year in Kona I was kind of like it's all new and you don't really know what's going on and and I kind of was just enjoying it and thinking you know it's my first year I, I don't really have to like go super hard Whereas um, this year I kind of, I, I had much more of a clear aim for myself and expectation of myself. Um, what, what were your expectations going into the race, you know? Um, you knew what you did last year, as you said, but did you, you know, what, in terms of going into the race, did you have any particular goals? Obviously it was a fast year, you know, times have changed hugely mm-hmm. from year to year, but did you have any particular objectives that you wanted to be first age grouper, you know, either in your age group or overall, or wanted to make a real mark of any, you know, what, what were your goals going in? Um, so at the beginning of the year, um, I contacted Team Free Speed Virgin Active, which I'm now part of, and I sort of sent them a CV and I, I listed a few aims, and one of them was to be unbeaten by any other amateur all year. Um, so that kind of, by definition, means that I'd have to be the first amateur. And that was something that I kind of put down a long way away from Kona and just thought, yeah, that'd be really cool. Um, but that was something that was in the back of my mind. But closer to the competition, I usually keep these sort of aims quiet because uh, you feel a bit silly if you uh, if you start telling people that's what you want to do and then you don't manage it. So I think, well, my own mum asked me what time I was planning on doing um, and I wouldn't tell her. So she was like, uh, okay, so how much faster than last year do you want to go? And I was like, mom, that is just the same question, but just different. Um, <laughs> so I didn't even tell her. Um, so I think she actually missed my finish on the tracker because, uh, uh, I went a bit faster than she was expecting. But, um, 
I think there was only one person in the world that I told, and it was the uh, the volunteer who was helping me put my stuff in transition. Yeah. Um, and I told her that I was aiming for 938, when actually I was aiming for 933. But yeah. I thought 933 sounded a bit ridiculous, yeah. so I didn't tell anyone. <laughs> and um, and then kind of did a bit better than that even, so that was cool. So, so but, maybe um, um, to sort of talk us through your day, you know, in terms of the the swim and the and the bike and the run and... I guess you know what. Obviously, it all went pretty well, but I'm sure there were a few challenges along the way. And um, yeah, maybe just you know how you reacted slightly differently in, in different parts of the race to to what you'd done the, the previous year. Um, yeah, so started the swim um, in a different position to last year. Uh, last year, I just kind of I didn't have any idea uh, how to do it or what was going on really, and I just literally you feel like you're getting beaten up for the whole thing. It felt marginally less brutal than it did last year so that was nice and I don't know whether that contributed to uh, a swim that was about a minute quicker but I know that I'm actually swimming a bit slower this year um, like length for length in the pool Mm -hmm. so that must have just been like not having quite so many people um, attacking me in in the water which was nice Um, so I got out in just under an hour and didn't do a particularly fast transition but I managed to actually get sunblocked this year because last year I I missed that and paid for it later. Um, so got out on the bike. Um, and you kind of, yeah, you're always reminding yourself not to hammer it straight away because you've got a long day ahead of you. Um, and happily, there seem to be more people behind you than there are in front, so that's always good. Mm. Um, so you just, I just spend the whole bike being really, really paranoid um, of the draft police. Um, <laughs> not because I'm drafting at any point, but just because seven meters is like really hard to figure out um and that's the required gap for age groupers um and and also like if you know that if you do go on to be be successful and win your age group or whatever you would hate like i'd hate for anyone to see me on the podium and think oh yeah that's because she was drafting so i'm always like super duper careful um so that's mainly what's consuming all my thoughts for for most of the bike and uh, the bike went pretty well. It was not too windy, and there weren't like the side winds that you expect from Harvey. So that was good. Did you, and, um, um, do you do you ride to power or heart rate, or how do you sort of gauge your effort as you're going through the bike ride? Um, I gauge my effort by uh, the people around me. Really, I don't have a, a parameter, um, and my heart rate monitor was going mental, and <laughs> that it was it was mainly displaying so like forty or forty five. And I was pretty sure that I was pushing harder than that. <laughs> You're an animal. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I didn't really go on that much. Obviously, um, I don't think it. I don't think it gave me the right heart rate at any point. So I don't know. I just kind of go with it, and uh, I, I look at my speed, but it doesn't really mean anything because you feel like a machine when you've got a tailwind. Yeah. And I just and you can't really tell that you've got a tailwind or I can't because I actually do believe that I'm going that fast. And you look at the grass and you think, oh, it just looks like it's, it's kind of bending with me because of the perspective from moving so fast. <laughs> so I really thought that I was just like super duper. And then I turned around and um, then you get headwind and you realize why you're going so fast. Um, so no, I, I don't use anything like that. I kind of gauge it partly by people around you. So as long as you're overtaking a few more people than are overtaking you, that's probably a good sign. And, um, um but being one of the, you know, or being the fastest female out there, do, mm-hmm. do you find that um, some of the males get pretty pissed off, you know, if they're getting, oh, damn it, I'm getting checked, and do you find guys sort of riding John, over, you're the riding only one to, who feels that way. Well, you'll be surprised, Bevan. <laughs> um, do, you, do you find guys sort of riding over the top of you when they, uh, when they notice they're getting passed by girls or anything like that? Um, I don't know. Uh, it, it's something that I 
probably don't really notice because I don't really look for it. Um, although there is a photo that um, that our team manager Richard took of me when I'm running, and there seems to be this guy next to me who's got like this really like really annoyed look on his face. So perhaps they do, but it's not something that that I particularly notice because I'm kind of in my own little world. Um, although in the swim, all the girls have bright pink hats, and mm. and the guys had a different color hat. I can't remember what color they were, but. Um, like when I'm next to a girl, I always kind of think, oh, I'll be, I'll be nice and uh, I'm not going to like smack them or anything. Whereas when you're next to a guy, I always think, well, I'm wearing a pink hat. Why are you hitting me? <laughs> so, um, so they definitely don't make any allowances for you in the swim, which a part of me kind of wishes they would. And then another part of me is like, well, just treat me as anyone else because I want to race you properly. So, mm, yeah. um, so I don't know, maybe, maybe they do, but I think that's, uh, I don't know, maybe an individual thing. Mm. What do you guys think? Well, it doesn't bother me if a girl beats me, but John has big issues with it. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to deny it. He has big issues. <laughs> Call me a sexist pig. But anyway, I wouldn't sprint you in the finish. So that's, a, that's where I draw the line. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't sprint a female in the finish. Um, and so head, heading on to the run, um, you know, did, did you, I don't know, if, were you in front? There was a girl that rode like 4.49, so I'm not sure if you were in front of her. But, you know, going into the run, did you know your sort of position and where you're at and, and, and how did the run go? Um, yeah, the run went okay. You never really know what your legs are going to do until you start trying to trying to run on them. Um, and they felt fine. And that's always a bit suspicious because you kind of think maybe I'll just have a really fast first mile and then and then fade after that. Um, but yeah, I felt I felt good. We had some friends who were out on the course and they were kind of giving information and things. Um, so I knew roughly the gaps of the two girls in front of me. Um, but the girl who rode a ridiculous bike split. split um, was a long, long way ahead of me to mm. the point that um, these friends didn't actually tell me the gap because they thought it would just like <laughs> spook me and I, I wouldn't want to carry on. Um, but when I did catch her up, she was walking, so I think that's probably a, a lesson not to not to hammer the bike too hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of weird as well because you start catching up with pros, and so you spy a girl in front of you, and you think, yes, if there's only two girls in front of me then I'm overtaking a girl that makes me second mm. except then you turn around and you realize they've got a different color number and they've got a pro number mm. and you just think oh you don't count because yeah <laughs> and so that's kind of annoying um but also a lot of guys look like girls from the back because they're really <laughs> skinny and they've got like shaved legs and you think yes another girl I'm overtaking and then it's a guy and that's kind of annoying as well you should it's tell them that as you're passing guys. them you should tell that they will get them angry <laughs> oh, I thought you were a chick oh don't worry you're all right <laughs> keep going slow <laughs> yeah just to make even more enemies on the course yeah <laughs> um, not good and and yeah, so coming in, you know, obviously when you make the um, the you know, or you sort of coming going in and out of the energy lab, and you've got that final stretch home, you know, mm-hmm. what sort of state were you in at that stage? Were you still going, you know, all guns blazing, or was it uh, hanging on for dear life? Um, I don't know. I was I was kind of holding my pace. Um, I I did use my like my watch for a bit of that, um, even though my heart rate was still just reading silly things. Um, so. No, that was feeling okay, actually, because you kind of just know that you've only got a certain amount of time left and you know that you can get to the end and it's just a matter of just getting there, basically. Um, but, but at this stage, you knew you, you were in front? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so was, was, there, kind of was, nice. was there a pressure on it? Was it? Did you feel a, a sense of, um, well, I've been not dropped the ball now or were you well in control? Um, yeah, I think... I think that I think the pressure was off a little bit because um, 
Richard, who was taking some photos, our team manager, he was he said that I was like there's quite a decent gap, so I didn't really have to be too concerned about someone suddenly sprinting up behind me. Yeah. But that is always kind of in the back of your head. And uh, once you go through the energy lab, because that's an out and back part, you can kind of look on the other side to see if there's any girls back. Mm. And um, I did look at the kind of the gap and there was a girl who was like four minutes behind, but I think that may have been a pro, so it wasn't too much to worry about. Um, So, yeah, you you do kind of relax and and you kind of consciously keep reminding yourself that the next few miles are going to be awesome because once you get back into town, there's going to be loads of support and and you get to finish really soon and that's always a good feeling, so it kind of spurs you on, I guess. Um, But, yeah, it was was a good feeling. You always think that you're going to be thinking loads of really profound things. I'm just always thinking, like, absolute nonsense. So... um, (laughs) And then you finally just get to the, the finish and it never quite feels like you expect it to feel, but not in a bad way. And so what's the, rea- I mean, you're going to be world famous now because you're on, on IM Talk. But what's Seriously, the- watch out for the paparazzi. <laughs> yeah. what's, what's, has it been much reaction? Have you, um, you know, have you, have you had other interviews and, and any of the other try sort of media been in touch? Yeah, um, bits and pieces like the magazines and things like that. And um, I've got to fill out a few sort of interviews and stuff, but... I think wait, wait, that you got to fill out a, an interview. Oh, uh, like just things um, for like websites and stuff like oh, that, okay. and um, and like like local news newspapers and things yep. like that. Nothing too exciting. Um, it's kind of funny because I can never quite tell if people get it. Like people who aren't in sport and don't know yeah. triathlon, and they've kind of looked it up and and they're like, "Hey, you just won," and and I look quite unlikely. So I think people just think that I'm. It's kind of some sort of. I don't know. I don't know what people think, but I went to, um, I had like my first day black back on placement in the hospital today. And, um, and I didn't tell anyone at all. And they're just like, Hey, where have you been? And I was like, yeah, just, just been away. <laughs> went to Hawaii. It was cool. Um, and, and then that's kind of all they say. And, and I don't really volunteer that information because I, I just don't think people really understand to be honest. Yeah. And, um, yeah, <laughs> I don't really need, um, yeah, it's, it, it's kind of, it depends who you want to impress and, yeah. And kind of where your security lies, and actually, like a lot of the people, they just wouldn't be impressed by this sort of thing anyway. I don't think. Yeah, uh, and I'm, I'm really interested to know. It was the GoPro Ironman World Championships. Did you get a GoPro mm-hmm. for winning your age group? Uh, no, I didn't. <sighs> they did announce that um, they were giving Rini Carfrey one, and uh, they said, "So we're giving her this much money and a GoPro." That's and everyone's like, three hundred uh, bucks." <laughs> I know it's quite funny although I did actually uh, borrow one of a friend uh, last year when I came and um, and I went swimming and, and saw loads of turtles and, and tried to take loads of photos and didn't actually manage to take a single photo uh, <laughs> because I was that useless at trying to, to, to figure out how it works so um, I'm not sure that it would have been useful for me anyway <laughs> I'm not very good at that sort of thing How far into your me- medical study are you? Oh, okay. <laughs> so I've been at university forever and my parents are getting really annoyed because um, I've taken a few years out along the way to, to do different things. So um, I started in 2007 um, and I am now finally graduating, but it was going to be 2012 and then it was going to be 2013 and then now it's 2014. And the bank keep writing to me and telling me that they're changing my account to a graduate account and they're going to charge me for my overdraft. And uh, <laughs> I keep having to remind them, well, tell them that I'm taking another year. But um, it's kind of like a running joke in my family that I'm like a perpetual student, which is the way I like it, really. Well, well is the transition now that you want to move towards going pro or is it that you're just, you know, this is just the side project until you kind of get into the big real world with, you know, with being a medical professional? 
Um, yeah, uh, I, I would, I think I'd really like to have a go at being pro. I think, uh, it seems like quite a nice life and, um, definitely nicer than, than being in a hospital ward at times. Um, I think that even the very best of the best though, um, they can't be pros forever and your body doesn't let you do it forever unless you're Natasha Badman, it seems. Um, so, so I think that, um, I definitely need to finish my degree. I, I graduate in the summer all being well. Um, and then in the UK we have to do like a couple of years of, of being a junior doctor. So I think the, that my current plan is, is to kind of just get those out of the way. And then that only puts me to 28. So that's not bad timing for, um, starting to think about taking it more seriously and doing it full time. But I just, I don't know how that would sort of change my relationship with it because right now it's, it's kind of, it's fun because I can't do it all the time. Whereas if I could do it all the time and if I kind of lost the structure of having to drag myself along to uni, um, I don't know whether that would change things at all, but I can only find out, I guess. But do you, do you transition to pro anyway? Because like, let's look, you know, this year you've been undefeated as an age grouper and, and John's got, if, we'll put a link to John's article on um, WWIM mm-hmm. Talk. And he's got, you know, the splits between your times and every other best bloody time is, is, is ridiculous. You're like half an hour faster than anything that's ever happened, um, <laughs> which is pretty phenomenal but um you know you could pretty much turn up to a lot of races you know obviously maybe not have to win Kona but turn up to a lot of races you know maybe second or two third tier races and get some money out of them Mm. you know do you kind of go well I might as well go pro because I can make some money while I'm racing um yeah but I'm kind of quite um all or nothing and I I feel like I've kind of been half jobbing it for the last few years um splitting my attention between sport and and like university and stuff so I kind of, if if I do go pro, I want to make it different and I want to see what happens if I focus completely on one thing. Um, so that kind of really appeals to me. I just, I feel like I don't, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to half job it. I want to do it properly when I do it, if mm. I do it. Mm. Um, and, and with the medical stage, you said you've got to do two years um, sort of doing junior doctoring. Is, is there any mm-hmm. way where you can... Um, Part part time that and and keep your keep your training up because I, I, I understand you know when you do that for a couple of years it's pretty um it sounds pretty manic and some of the hours you've got to do. Yeah, I could part time it, but I think that um, even if you're doing sort of like fifty percent, it still um, works out as a lot more because you've got to like get to work, get home, and and you don't manage to like hand over to other doctors in time and stuff like that. Um, I'm not really sure whether. Ironman would qualify because they usually only accept Olympic sports. Right. Um, so I'm not really sure how that works. But I think, again, it's something that I think I'd just like to either do full-time sport mm. or do it as a hobby yeah. um, and rather than kind of, yeah, splitting my attention, splitting my time and just kind of doing more of what I'm doing at the moment, really. Although I will say, that even, you know, it sounds like you're, you're kind of, you know, I'm going to stay down a medical path and then look to go pro in a couple of years. I'm pretty sure you're probably going to end up some winning some races where pros are there and they'll break they'll break their heart, but then they'll get the check, so they'll be, they'll be, they'll, they'll be happy. It's like a Lydia, yeah. Co, Lydia Co in New Zealand. We've got a golfer who just kicks everybody asses, and she's still an amateur. Yeah. So she doesn't get the money. Yeah. I guess um, a lot of people are always interested what sort of training you do. Um, so you know, do, do you do you sort of follow a, a traditional program? I mean, roughly how many hours you're doing a week, and and anything? Do you think you're doing anything different to what other people are doing? Hmm. Um, I don't really think I know enough about triathlon to know if I'm doing different things um, or if I'm following a traditional program. I do have a coach and um, she kind of sets me stuff. I question it. We chat about it and then we kind of come up with something. Um, So 
I kind of do anything between about like 12 and 18 hours or so. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think like the very most I've ever done is like 20 or 21 hours when you're doing like a five or six hour ride at the weekend or something. Mm. Um, So it's not masses, but again, it's, it's kind of sometimes like the logistics of, of training, like getting to the pool, getting back and, and anytime I'm not training, I'm generally eating. So um, that takes a lot of time as well because I really like <laughs> nice. cooking. Nice. Um, so I think I, I'm not really sure. Like, tell me what other people do and then I can tell you if I do anything different. <laughs> yeah, that's, that sounds pretty normal, you know. That sort of 15-hour yeah. average, a lot of people sort of sit around that. A lot of people do a lot more. So, yeah, it's, mm. it's horses, of course. Well, so yeah, exactly. It's about how you respond. People are, I guess people are just probably interested to know if you're one of those people that does, you know, 20, 25 hours every week and uh, mm. and, and that's why you're going fast. But it sounds like you're doing similar hours to, to what most age groupers are doing. One, one, the final question I've sort of got is um, a bit around, uh, it sounds like you did a year um, working with the, the Team Sky, the bike team, mm-hmm. being the assistant medic. So maybe just tell us a bit about what that entails and uh and there's so much obviously about drugs and cycling and, and maybe mm. what what the role is and um yeah just a bit, a bit about that um so yeah that was just for a year in 2012 and I was working in Manchester where Team Sky um were based and um I actually found myself doing quite a lot more for the British cycle team because they're all based there at the velodrome um but I was just general general dog's body really um like medical wise so I'd do bits and pieces. I'd like make sure all the like bloods for the UCI and stuff were up to date, and um, all like the screening they had to have to have. And anytime they they had big crashes, um, I'd basically collect from from the airport and deliver them to the appropriate doctor. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, so it's kind of a bit of everything, really. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of um, like I, I don't feel that I learned a lot of medicine, but I learned a lot of life, um, which was quite fun. Yeah. And it was fun because they're uh, sponsored by Jaguar, so. Had to drive Jaguars, which was uh, not the worst part of the job. Nice. But um, one of my very first uh, first tasks was um, <laughs> picking up some guy called Chris Froome from the airport. Okay. <laughs> and I don't really support sport. I kind of just do sport. And I didn't really know much about cycling. And I was like, oh, I've no idea who this is. Yeah. And um, they didn't actually have any, uh, any Jaguars available that day so they basically gave me this really rickety old van and i didn't want to tell them i hadn't driven a a car for six years since i passed my test so i was pretty rusty at driving and this van was not very helpful because you couldn't even see out the back and i picked up (laughs) i felt so sorry for chris it must have been like a white knuckle ride and i can't believe they entrusted me with such a valuable cyclist but um but we we didn't crash so that's good we had some near misses and i uh, i scratched a few jaguars a few times but no one seemed to. Well, I didn't get fired for that, or fired at all. <laughs> so uh, it was a, it was a fun year. Yeah, it was good to do it in twenty twelve as well with the Olympics going on and things. Yeah, I mean, are you sceptical about cycling, or or you know, in terms of, do you think they're cleaning up their act, or what? What are your thoughts around that? Um, I don't know. It's just so difficult because I think as soon as you make sport professional, then people are going to be striving to get every single tiny advantage that they can. Um, and for some people that is going to involve things which are cheating. Um, I just think it's, it's so difficult because there's this whole concept that people have of a level playing field. And I think that, um, some cyclists, especially people like David Miller, where he's kind of written all this down and it's there to read. Um, I think that's kind of one of the things that really kind of tipped the balance for them in, in making them cross lines that they didn't think they'd cross. Um, and I think personally, um, in triathlon, I'm really glad that there haven't been any massive drug scandals because if I was entering 
uh, a sort of industry where I thought drugs were rife. It would be very, very challenging to to keep yourself clean amongst everybody else. Um, so yeah, going back to cycling, um, I think that it's always going to be a problem. Um, but I think I think the British cycle team had it really good because they have this whole system of marginal gains and because people felt that they were getting so many benefits from the technological advances and the scientific advances in sort of nutrition and stuff, um, they didn't really need to look for, for the, um, for the edge elsewhere, which I think is, is one way to, to keep your athletes clean. Mm, nice. Okay. So what's your, what's your plans over, um, you know, you're going at hit it, starting to head into winter and have you, have you made mm-hmm. any plans in terms of racing, um, late season races or, or any plans for next year at this stage? Uh, I've kind of got little little seedlings of plans in my head, um, which when I'm daydreaming and bored on placement, then uh, that's kind of when they're growing. So I don't really know what I'm doing at the moment. Um, no, no fixed plans for next year. I've qualified for Kona next year um, because of my result this year, but I'm not I'm not sure whether I'll be able to take that up with with my job starting in the summer and stuff like that so that's so not really sure so if you is it just if you win your age group or is it top three that get spots for the final um, year I, i'd lose track of what the rules are i i think it's some um, age group winners cool um so they can like defend their title the following year but Perfect. um nice. yeah well, awesome! It was um, it was pretty spectacular yeah, performance. Yeah, it was a special yeah. performance. Pretty it was, amazing. Um, it was obviously a, f- a very very fast day for the girls. At least some of the guys. Uh, yeah, but a fast know. day, but still a wicked result. Yeah, and it's been fast before, and nobody's ever been that fast. So, and, and, and you must be surely the first ever age group to get top ten. Like I know you were racing a slightly different race because of the start times, mm-hmm. but to get top ten time, it's pretty that's phenomenal. Insane. Yeah, God, so, it's amazing. On with the the British onslaught yeah. uh, of crushing the world mm-hmm. in triathlon. So uh, yeah, a, a fin- final thing from you though. Maybe um, you, you mentioned Team Free Speed, but anybody else that you want to give a little bit of love to? Yeah, um, Team Free Speed are, are just absolutely awesome. I only joined them this year, and they've just got such a host of, of brilliant, brilliant sponsors. So I'm so grateful to them, and they made Kona this year for me. Um, otherwise. Um, I'm also supported by Bridgetown Cycles and Canuck, who uh, sort out all things bike for me. And um, yeah, they're they're really awesome. Um, and I'm just so grateful to them. They've been with me for a couple of years now. And um, and I also have a, a little tiny recovery drink company based in Sheffield called Nourish Me Now. And um, and they're they're pretty cool as well. And um, they just make delicious recovery drinks, which I haven't found anything like them elsewhere. Um, so I'm so grateful to all of those guys and um, all the the free speed sponsors like um, Cliff Bar and Lizine and um, H2 Pro and I'm going to forget some because I ha- don't have them right in front of me. But Vir- um, Virgin, yeah. Virgin, they're all very good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Team Team Free Speed Virgin Active and um, the website is uh, TeamFreeSpeed.com. So awesome. look us up. Very good. Well, we yeah. might see you in Cannes next year. We might. I'm not. sure we'll hear lots more of your name anyway over the next few years. And uh, mm-hmm. well done on a great result because it really was pretty special. And uh, you know, keep up all the good work. Thank you very much, John. Your thoughts? Great. This is take two. We, 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 just, we, we just rambled for ages. Oh, it's the best rambling ever. Yes. Uh, I can't remember where we're at, but Catherine's legendary athlete, fastest time. Ever by an age grouper. And well, there's been lots of fast years. You know, Crowey set a course record, was it two years ago? Yeah. Fast day. Pretty, pretty no, but the thing that's really interesting about her is, as John Levinson's report says, it's like 30 minutes faster than anyone ever in her age group. Mm. And and also like 15 minutes faster, 18 minutes faster than anyone who's ever age grouper, any age group. So it was a very special performance. Was. 
and we'll just have to wait and see what direction she she heads off in. Look at this photo of her running over some rocks here, John. She's got the good cycling tan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forgot to ask her. She had the old Cat Morrison arm thingies on, you know, like yep. the uh, yep. cover your arms and well, shoulders. Well, she's pale like Cat, isn't she? Yes. So she probably has to worry about you know those things. So I guess the question is: is is she go, is she starting a bit of a you know bit of a Chrissy reign here? You know, starting pretty. Chrissy really just dominated from from the Chrissy from came the outset. Nowhere about Chrissy was a freak. So she's been going for what, four years now. Made some massive improvement in the last twelve months, and it will be interesting to see. You know, whilst it was an incredible performance, not taking anything away, she's still you know it's still a lot another really big jump from going to nine fifteen to really eight fifty. Oh yeah. Two. So, but she could now go to most races around the world, with the exception of say the championship ones. And be, if not winning them, be in the top. Oh, two or three. for sure. She could Every, definitely yeah. turn up to most, a lot of races. She could, Gina, and she doesn't want to go for the money, but she could. She could easily even keep this kind of age group kind of lifestyle and make a half decent living. Yep. Well, in that sport, no one makes that great a living. They don't. <laughs> but, you know, uh, she's on par with Gina Crawford, and Gina Crawford wins most races that she goes to, except for, say, maybe a Melbourne, but she's, uh, she's, She's consistently out there, so you know she could make a bit of coin on the side. But I, I think you know the next couple of years sound like they're going to be still somewhat dedicated to getting her medical profession studies up and running. But good stuff. Good times. Okay, Long John's sponsor. Bloody UK. They just keep crushing us all, don't they? Well, they not in a means long long version. That yeah. hasn't happened yet. No. Girls. Yep, they're pretty strong. Mm. Short course. Yep, they're pretty strong. Men's long course. Where are you? You're yeah. weak. Yeah. You're weak and you know it. Athlinks.com. Yes, John. Yes. They've just updated and put the Ironman World Champs up there. So not a lot of people have claimed their results yet. But the fastest Athlinks finisher was Clay Imge in 8.47. He's 25 to 29 age group. He swam 58. 8.47. 8.47. Wow. Uh, swam 58, rode 4.43 and ran 3 hours and 33 seconds. Didn't you do three hours and one second? I, I think I did three hours and four or something like that, or three hours and five and wrote. Did that rip your undies? Oh, a little bit. My undies were ripped before I got to that climb that you had to do when you came up from the canal and yeah. you had that climb. Oh, my undies were ripped by that stage. Did you do a sprint to the finish? Um, that was your four seconds. Could have been. Yeah. Could have. Could have. That's okay. Anyway. 8.47, you'd normally go, holy smokes, that is fast. And it is fast, but he did was not fast this age group. He had Kyle Buckingham up there uh, in 8.37. And I guess, I think this guy could be about one, two, three, four. He's fifth age grouper overall. Next week, we are going to have on the show third age grouper overall, winner of the 35 to 39, Sam Guide. Now, is he your competition next year? Well, he is in my age group, but I wouldn't really say he's my competition because you're going to take him out, eh? Smoke me. I will have a significant. He's going to go pro, surely. Apparently, he's not because he is also sponsored by Endurance Junkie. Oh. And apparently he's not going pro, and apparently he's still in my age group. And apparently he is a working age grouper. I okay. don't know how much he works. We'll find that out next week. Can't swim to save himself relative to his other sports. It's only swam a 108, but then he backs out with a 429 and a 3.30 and 30 seconds. He was also just missed out. But 3 and 30 seconds. 3 hours and 30 seconds, yep. 8.45. I ain't going 8.45 next year, no matter what the conditions, I don't think. Don't want to. Never say never, but... Ah, see, see, see. That would be 
miraculous. So one thing that's really great about athletes, guys, if you check it out, they can give you things like the average overall time. So what were the average overall times for men, guys, uh, Jomo? We had 10.54 of average for the guys, 11.38 average for the girls, and 11.06 average for overall. Now, when we did this, we uh, when we did this last time before when we lost the recording, we're talking a little bit about how the field. So, if we look at the male field in Kona, this is what's great it's about athletes is that basically it's probably three quarters men. It is three quarters, not 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 two thirds. No, no, not all John. <laughs> and then uh, one one quarter girls. That would make a hole. And uh, <laughs> nice. so fourteen forty six guys, five hundred twenty one girls, which is a nineteen hundred and sixty seven. Overall, and so what you can do on athletics is then you can go through and you can actually look in all the different age groups for where the athletics finishes were, and uh, it's all good in the hood. Yep. So guys, if you if you did Kona, make sure you claim your result. But if not, make sure you're on athletics because it's a really great resource for keeping a record of everything you do in your athletic career. Jumbo, yes. we're going to interview with Bob Sibaha. Mm, and this rounds off our nutrition, little nutrition period we've had of late and metabolic efficiency. Now, I do, do say in the interview, and I've sent it to Bevan, so it's his responsibility to put up my metabolic efficiency test results uh, okay. on the my website this week. So oh, we were meant to do the interview with the other guy, remember? I forgot okay. about that. Maybe the guy wanted to interview us. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, Bob's up here, and he's really rounding off. You know, we've had we've focused a bit on this low fat. A low carb, high China fat. Study. China study. Bevan's going to die. We all know that. <laughs> uh, but Bob rounds it off really well, nicely. I turn up next week and I go, I'm going to die. You're going to feel so bad. Yeah, well. <laughs> I've just, you just, you've got to remember to have this box of tissues ready because you've got your sore knee, you've got your sore shoulder, you're going to die. It's all one of the same. <laughs> anyway. Bob gives some fantastic advice here. Yeah, it's it? a really good wrap-up of kind of everything at the moment, mm-hmm. isn't it? So yeah. we're going to check him on right now. Here he is, Bob Sebar. Okay, guys. Uh, now, we've, we've been opening a can of worms lately. Oh, yeah. with, with, with the nutrition. confusion we create, it's not good. When I, I, I jump on my bandwagons and uh, we've gone from the China study to talking about <laughs> the, the, the low-carb, high-fat, and um, we haven't come up with heaps of definitive answers yet, but we're just sort of putting different ideas out there for you guys. And today we're going to hopefully round some of that up and, and get some informed opinion on it. So we've got Bob Sibaha on again, who we had on quite a while ago. So welcome along to the show, Bob. Thanks, fellas. I appreciate it. And Bob um, has got a book about metabolic efficiency, and we'll talk about where you can get all his information from later on in the show. And we've only got a, a limited amount of time because we could probably sit here and talk for hours. And, and Bob's area, area, one of Bob's areas of speciality is, as I said, metabolic efficiency. So if you have not listened to show 259 or you, you want to just do a bit of background as to what we're talking about in terms of metabolic efficiency, go back to episode 259, listen to that because that is where we explain what metabolic efficiency is. We do some really good background work, and I don't want to go over all of that again because, um, as I said, we've only got a, a limited amount of time. So do go back, listen to 259. I actually listened to it yesterday myself, and it was it was great going back and hearing Bob talk. But, Bob, we're really keen to kick off things. We've had on the show over the last few last month or so talking about um, low carb and high fat, and uh, and take, sort of taking that 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 diet. Now, I'm 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 taking an approach where I'm going lower carb, but by definition, mm-hmm. from my understanding, if you're talking low 
carb high fat those guys if you do it properly they're sort of under 200 grams of carbs a day which is which is not a lot so I'm really keen to hear your thoughts about low carb high fat and where that fits in with with what you're talking about in terms of metabolic efficiency yeah <clears throat> absolutely excuse me so this is it's such a great topic because you know since since we talked uh you know earlier about metabolic efficiency this this low carb high fat is just boomed and it's just it's it's taking over at least uh my practice in in the states it's everybody's either asking about it or they're doing it and you know it's kind of the crossfit nation and the paleo and mm. it's a little bit of everything put together right so i'm uh, definitely trying to answer a lot of questions for athletes and and you know i think just to start with i think one to to get some of the the house keeping out of the way is you know number one there's a there's a reason why my entire career I've very, very much tried to st stray away from the word diet, and I've never put it in any titles of my books. And I really try not to use that even in conversation because, in, in what we're seeing now too with this low carb, high fat diet, it, diets are very, very uh, destructive for individuals. And you look at athletes, you look at like, our at our triathletes, and you know triathletes ebb and flow with their physical periodization, right? So we're going in between builds and base training and off seasons and tapers and recovery, and we 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 ebb and flow our energy expenditure through the entire year, it just makes sense to be able to step back and say, wait a second, if we're on a diet that's very restrictive, is that actually going to support our performance? Now, we'll, we'll talk about health here in, in a few, I'm sure, but from a performance perspective, I, I think I have to constantly remind athletes, triathletes specifically, that because we're, we're fluctuating our energy, our, our training demands, our swim, bike, run, some strength training, yoga, you name it, because those are going up and down, we actually need to take a step back and say, well, how does our nutrition support our ups and downs? And, and that was the whole basis of my concept um, that I created in, in what was that, 2003, called nutrition periodization. And a very fancy word that basically means whatever training cycle you are in, your nutrition should support that for the age grouper, for the pro, for the man, for the woman, for the child, doesn't matter. So I think we need to take a step back and get away from diet and say, as athletes, how do we just periodize this this entire nutrition plan and and possibly can low carb high fat fit in there and and I will say 100% it can definitely fit in but but not at the times that athletes are actually jumping on the bandwagon so they're trying to go full on competition cycle even before a race and you know before 70.3 or ironman and they're flailing, you know, because obviously they're they're teaching their body to run on low glycogen stores. And at some points of the year, that could be extremely beneficial, but at others, it can be extremely detrimental. So I just wanted to kind of start out by kind of laying the land of we need to kind of get in our minds, get away from diets, and maybe maybe what I call it, and, and what you were saying is I call this whole thing controlling carbohydrates. Mm. So not maybe lowering, or we're, obviously it's going to lower and, and increase the carbohydrate intake, but let's control our carbohydrate intake relative to our training needs. And obviously as, as one nutrient goes down, the other goes up. So that's kind of where the carbohydrate and the fat teeter-totter back and forth. Mm. So I mean, I think I think a lot of people all of a sudden have thought carbs are evil. Um, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. and that, you know, I've just come in. We've we've started recording the show this morning, and I've been out just done a three k swim before I came in, and yeah. got in here and, and had a banana and and and, and an Ems Power cookie bar, which is sort of yeah. fairly low glycemic index. And I'm I'm not yeah. sitting here stressing. Oh my God, I've just eaten some carbohydrates. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I guess from my perspective, I, I, I'm lowering my carbohydrates by trying to lower a lot of the the processed carbohydrates. But what we've yeah. got to remember is there's carbohydrates in all sorts of uh, good areas in terms of you know fruits and vegetables and stuff. So uh, I, I guess yeah, carbs aren't necessarily evil, are they? 
They're not. I think, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot of links to, to chronic disease states in processed refined carbohydrates, like you were saying, but the wholesome ones, the, you know, the fruits, the veggies, the, the whole grains, the nuts, the beans, that, those kind of carbohydrates are actually not only beneficial, but, but they're needed for our bodies for proper digestion, proper blood sugar control, proper vitamins and minerals, antioxidants. So yeah, it's, it, and I've, I've seen that too, where people say, you know, I'm on zero carbs and you know, it's somewhat impossible to do that. Number one, but you know they're forgetting about all these these good you know quote unquote sources of of carbohydrate that come from nature, absolutely. Hmm. Um, and when we had our interview with you last time, you sort of explained the the sort of insulin spikes that mm-hmm. occur when we take carbohydrates in. Can you maybe go over that again, sort of explaining yep. when we're taking things in, what happens to our insulin, and what hap- and how that influences our ability to access our fat stores and, and and I know there's a lot of questions here in one but the is the type of carbohydrates going to influence how that sort of switch turns on and off right yeah great question and so in the in the field of sport nutrition working with with athletes we need to think of it as kind of a two-prong approach the first prong is daily nutrition so those are your meals those are the, the times outside of training that you're feeding yourself breakfast lunch dinner snacks and then the second prong is training nutrition so let me speak first about the daily nutrition because because to be honest with you this is actually where I focus almost all my efforts when I try to put an athlete through a metabolic efficiency plan I focus on their daily nutrition to try to do exactly what you talked about, control blood sugar, and that controls blood insulin. So so as an example, whenever blood sugar is high, so say you just had a banana coming off your 3K swim, a banana being almost all sugar will spike your blood sugar, and it will actually uh, regulate the release of insulin from your pancreas. So, And that's not a big deal for most people. Insulin is is a hormone that's made to get blood sugar down into your body. Everything is good. Um, there's a couple couple of determinants here, though. Whenever insulin is high, your body's ability to burn fat from a biochemistry standpoint is actually blunted significantly, if not turned off. So what we what we look at is how do we put foods together? And and you know when we put foods together, the optimal food combination, if you will, in controlling blood sugar and thus controlling insulin during the day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks is by combining a source of fiber from carbohydrates. So that could be anything that we talked about before, fruit, veggie, nuts, beans, whole grains. So you have a source of fiber from carbohydrate, you have a source of protein, and you have a source of fat. Those three, and in all the literature, and especially in diabetes literature, know, it tells us that eating those three in combination at most meals will keep an even steady uh, blood sugar flow and, and thus control the hormone insulin. Now, so that's during the day, right? That's what we should kind of focus on most of the time. And, you know, I have this, I have a rule, if you will, a 90-10 rule, I call it. So 90% of the time, try to, try to just nail your blood sugar, try to control it through food. 10% of the time, we're athletes, you know, things happen, things come up. We're, we're kind of rushed sometimes. Sometimes we don't have the best choices if we're traveling. So 10% of the time, you know, allow yourself those misses. Bob, oh, can I ask, you know, yeah, yeah, but that's, when you're saying, uh, you know, the best way to control the insulin spike is to kind of have a blend of all three, yep. you know, like people love the numbers. What kind of numbers are you looking at in regards to uh, percentage of? That's a great, great question. Let me make it a little more simple before I answer the complex question. So I, I start teaching uh, from what I call my hand model. So I basically teach athletes, look at your left hand, look at your right hand. Your left hand is the amount of carbohydrates you put in, right? Okay. So that could be, again, fruits, veggies, nuts, beans, whole grains. The size of your hand, not your palm, the size of your entire hand is the quantity of carbohydrates that I want you to put in your body 
And at the same time, your right hand becomes the size of the protein and fat. So fats okay. are usually included in the protein because they're usually, for most protein sources, they're usually already in there. So if you look at that, that is what I call a one-to-one -one ratio of carbohydrate to protein. That will usually equate into about 25 to 35 grams of each nutrient. It obviously depends on the size of the hand. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Right, right. So, but, but now off of that, and that's, that's the easy way to figure it out. So when I talk to athletes, we talk about ratios of, of hands, ratio of carbohydrate to protein, right? The easiest way to control blood sugar, and this, is, this was really the premise of metabolic efficiency years ago before this whole low-carb, high-fat thing took off. You know, we, I know for certain, and, and other dietitians and practitioners have been, have been teaching the, uh, athletes the improved metabolic efficiency just by controlling these ratios. It's not necessarily following these high, crazy, you know, basically high carb, low fat, or low carb, high fat diets. We know that you can actually improve your body's oxidation or, or utilization of fat just by taking a little more simple and not being so aggressive in your dietary strategy, right? So that said, throughout the day, you know, you guys would eat a, a ratio of one to one carb to protein or on training days are a little bit more aggressive, a little longer duration, maybe you're doing some intervals, higher intensity. Maybe you even look at a two-to-one or a three-to-one carb-to-protein ratio during your meals. Now, I usually time that around training, though, if that makes sense. So, you know, if you're not, if, you, if you've got a, a morning, morning swim, then, you know, we could, we could get something in your body beforehand. I know we can, we can talk about the starvation or the fasting training sessions here, but we want to make sure that we get that, those carbohydrates in your body to replenish some of them that you're losing. But if, you, if, if today the only thing you're doing is a morning swim, then throughout the rest of the day, you don't need to eat as many carbohydrates unless you've got another session coming up later. Mm. So what am I doing for the next few hours of my life? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you can actually, not many people know this or even, um, even want to know this, but you can actually recover your carbohydrate stores, your glycogen stores within 12 to 24 hours after a workout on your normal daily diet. Now, of course, that's not our low carbers, high fatters, right? But that's just a normal endurance athlete diet. So sometimes we don't have to do a lot of special post-exercise nutrient recommendations if the athlete has about a day in between their next training session. Mm. So, yeah. so um, you, you talked a lot um, in the past about you know, that, that switch. And, and does it matter in, in terms of the type of carbohydrate you're talking? Mm. I'm, I'm probably talking more about training and racing perspective here. Does the glycemic index affect um, how quickly you turn that switch on in terms of the type of carbohydrate you might be taking in? Because I guess my question is, how are we going to minimize burning our carbohydrates and staying burning our, our fat stores whereas if we take in something you know just sugar, really sugary then that switch does that turn on really aggressively versus if right. we take something which is a lower glycemic index food um, does that yeah. turn the switch a little bit slower that's a really great question so if we're we kind of have to separate the the training versus non-training or, or mm. racing versus non-racing so during exercise and this is a really important point during exercise your insulin response is actually suppressed so you can actually put any type of carbohydrate from a simple sugar to a more complex sugar in your body during training. And your insulin, you, you will not have large 
insulin ups and downs because the exercise completely suppresses uh, that that hormone. So, mm-hmm. as an example, you know, a lot of a lot of these low carbers, high fatters will still consume sport drinks, nutrition products, simple sugar based nutrition products during racing or training, uh, but and, and they have no no detrimental effect because you know I think I, I think a lot in tell me if I'm not answering your question, but mm-hmm. a lot of the confusion is a lot of these new low carbers, high fat dieters. Are thinking that they have to completely starve themselves not only throughout the day but throughout training, and and that's the exact opposite of what we want them to do. You know, we want them to to adapt from a fat uh, perspective, burning more fat. But when they train, we want to make sure that they have enough juice, if you will, enough carbohydrate to be able to sustain their objectives for that training session. So what I have found is a lot of athletes, while they still may use some simple sugar products during training or racing, what they find is after they teach their body to burn more of that fat at higher intensities, they actually require less of those simple sugar carbohydrates. So maybe instead of 300 calories per hour on the bike for Ironman, maybe they're down to 200, right? Because they're a little bit more efficient at storing carbohydrates and burning fats. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. and, and I guess when we're talking about fats, again, um, and I don't want to harp on too much about the the – well, I do actually <laughs> about yeah. the low carb, high fat. Um, maybe explain the, the the different sorts of fats, and you know, when we saw things like Atkins diet and come out, um, you know, we see people lose a lot of weight through through following the the, the low carb, high fat, or, or very low carb um, diet. Mm-hmm. Does the type of fat that we take in matter too much? I mean, should we be really concerned about taking in saturated fats? We know that olive oils, you know, your avocados and all those sort of fats are better for us, but should we be really concerned about the saturated fats or not? Great question. Again, I, I think in the last, <clears throat> really about the last 18 months or so, we've we've had some new, not, not necessarily new research, but some uh, researchers come out and say, you know, there has been no correlation, at least between saturated fat and heart disease, right? That, that connection doesn't exist. Uh, the connection that exists, like I said earlier, is those refined sugars, those processed sugars in heart disease. So, to your point, we're kind of, as sport dietitians, we're kind of taking a step back and saying, we know we don't want to have an abundant amount of saturated fat, but we also know that we need saturated fat in our diet for proper cell membrane usage, right, in, in health. So mm-hmm. we used to, back in the days, we used to recommend no less than 10% of your total daily calories as saturated fat. Well, nowadays, we're kind of bumping that up 15, 20, haven't heard much more than 20% of your total calories as saturated fat. The, the point is, predominantly we want to look at those polyunsaturates like you're talking about like the olive oils and in the nuts the walnuts and uh, those are those are fantastic for our body we know that we have known that but we don't want to discount the the use of saturated fat because our body needs them and, and in fact one of the one, probably the easiest and best for an athlete's perspective saturated fat could be the use of coconut products, so coconut oil, coconut butter, and, and certainly just unsweetened coconut, you know, shredded coconut. So that that has a while it's predominantly saturated fat, they are and, and I know you guys have heard of this. They're called medium chain triglycerides, so they're mm-hmm. stored very differently in the body, and they're used for energy a lot quicker than typical fat. So a little bit of a blend, you know. I'd say probably a seventy-five percent polyunsaturated, those healthier fats, like we've been taught to maybe uh, you know, a, less than a quarter or so from the saturated fats. Damn coconut stuff, so bloody expensive. It really is. Well, <laughs> they've got the market there. That's why they know it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you talked before about um, doing some sessions fasted, and again, this um, mm-hmm. and, and maybe explain, give some, some examples of, of how to do that. And yep. I guess my second question there, we had um, 
uh, to combine them with this fasted sessions is for for females and stuff. Some some listeners had questions about hey, well, uh, you know, whether we're going through menopause or, or whatever, whether this is something that's healthy for for females to be doing, whether it draws nutrients from their bones. I've got no idea about any of that stuff. So maybe just talk through a bit about fasting sessions, some examples how it should be done, and maybe some warnings if there if there are any. Yeah. So uh, again, coming coming back to it, when athletes decide to do fasting sessions, or if they, if it, if their interest is a little, a little bit peaked, what I would first say is is have them step back and, and answer the question: What training cycle am I in? Am I in a training cycle where my training most of my training sessions are very important in terms of the objectives? Am I trying to hit certain power, my functional threshold power, certain velocity on the run, certain pace in the water? If those training sessions are important from a performance perspective. I rarely recommend fasting training sessions because the objectives are more for performance, mm-hmm. right? So look at it. So if we're in base training or off season, I think athletes get away with the fasted training sessions all the time. Uh, is it necessary? I don't believe it is. I, I believe, and I'm trying to teach athletes from the perspective of listening to your hunger. So if you wake up in the morning and you're starving, then have a little bit something small, you know, a little bit of combination of some protein, fat, and carbohydrate, just a little bit small to get you through your workout, uh, and then have a nice breakfast after. Now, on the flip side of it, if you wake up and you're not hungry, and you know you've got a you've got a five, six, seven mile run, aerobic zone two, you know, no higher, no no efforts in there, then I think it'd be okay to do a fasted uh, session for sure. You know, is it necessary though to improve this efficiency, this metabolic efficiency? Absolutely not. In, in all the testing that I have done, and, and we can talk about the research here in a second, but all the testing I've done, the metabolic efficiency testing on athletes, I've found that about 75% of your body's ability to, to teach itself how to use more fat is derived from their daily nutrition. It, it, not their training nutrition, not what sport nutrition products they're using, but it's how they put together their breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. So that's that's the simple answer to your first question, right? So hopefully that's a simple answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the second one, you know, could it be detrimental? I don't believe there's a lot known in that population that you mentioned with the women specifically with menopause. That is kind of an unknown with this whole starvation, this whole fasting, this low low carb, high fat. So I don't I don't think we have a lot of answers, including myself. Don't have a lot of answers at that particular or this particular time because every female reacts differently uh, through the menopause. Their hormone fluctuations are going up and down at different rates and in and, and certainly different uh, instances. So that's a, that's a hard one. That's a really tough one. I, you know, if the females out there who are going through menopause listening to this, I would tread very, very lightly. I would not go all in. I would not jump into the low-carb, high-fat, quote-unquote, diet. I would start controlling the, the nutrients in the diet to see how they act on those hormonal imbalances that are already happening in menopause. So, so if we were to recap to this point, Bob, what you're really saying is that if you are looking to improve your metabolic efficiency, it's about getting that balance of the single palm for protein yep. and, and carbohydrate in your everyday meals. And that yep. really should teach your body to, to use your fat better for an energy source. When it comes to actual training, you should still use your simple carbohydrates um, because the insulin levels aren't going to be affected that much. But again, you'll find over time the need will drop because your body's becoming more efficient. Exactly. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's, not, this is, it's not to discount that aerobic training because we also know from ex-phys – uh, that that if you train in zone one, zone two, predominantly you'll you'll improve your body's ability to burn fat, but yeah. that component isn't as large as the nutrition component. And if you think about it, this is how I explain to to our our naysayers out there. I say, well, how many times do you train a day? Obviously, it depends on your training cycle, right? It could be zero, it could be up to three, right? Yeah. How many times do you eat 
every day. That could be from four to seven. So you actually have better opportunity to develop your body's ability to burn fat and preserve carbohydrate through food because there's more repetition on a daily basis. Mm. Mm. Um, so I, uh, this is a very, very broad question. But um, <laughs> in, in terms of racing now, because you know, I think people are thinking, oh, you know, they're, they're looking for solutions to reduce their um, potential for having GI issues uh, during yep. the race, and they're thinking, you know, right, if I go on this high fat, um, low carb diet, you know, I'm going to need more. If I can become more metabolic efficient, metabolically efficient, then then I can probably eat a little bit less. But then we see some research from guys like um, Asker Yukonthrop, who's sort of saying. The more carbohydrate you can take, the, the the faster you can go. You know, if you can get to that sort of sixty grams um, glucose, thirty grams fructose sort of model. I mean, what's your sort of response to to, to that in terms of, um, I guess, looking at that best performance you can do versus, I guess, minimizing the risk for for GI issues. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a it's a great question, and it's not to downplay any of the research out there. I think a couple things. One, there's about five percent of athletes that I've run into that I've had experience with, and even read about that can actually do that. Right in in terms of teaching their body to consume a large bolus of carbohydrate and actually be able to utilize that during training, during racing without GI distress. And I think we need to keep in mind something else here, and we'll go off on that tangent a little bit later: body weight, body composition, and overall health. So, so we'll, we'll tag that for maybe a, 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 a later conversation. But to, in terms of the, the question at hand, we know about five, maybe, maybe 10, if you're lucky, 10% of athletes can actually do that. The, the rest of the 90 to 95% of athletes simply cannot handle that amount of carbohydrate. And, and believe me, I mean, I've tried that early in my career, been there, done that, because that's, that's all we knew. Every single Ironman I did was, was, was just filled with GI distress. Because I was doing the same thing. And that's, it's interesting because, you know, personally speaking, I don't want to do an N of one here, but I followed a significantly high carbohydrate diet. I tried to consume 50, 60 grams of carbohydrate, you know, on the bike specifically per hour and always had GI distress on the run. So this was a high carb guy going into a high carb loading, right? And so to your point, I do believe that will work for a very small amount of the population. I found it to work more with the elite males um, rather than our age groupers um, but and, and rather than our females because females will respond differently to their dietary strategies. And, and I think you guys know also they actually – females utilize more fat uh, during exercise relative to carbohydrate relative to males. So there's a lot of gender differences here also that we talk about. And a lot of the research has not been done on females. It's been done in the lab. Um, some of it, some of it, real life, like on tracks, but mm-hmm. mostly on males. You know, mostly in that age group of thirty to forty year olds. So if we if we get down to the, the nitty gritty of, of race nutrition, um, mm-hmm. so do you have any? Again, personalized between males and females and stuff, but and in terms of g- generic responses that you give, you're sort of not saying don't take sports nutrition because yes, that might spike your insulin level. Or have you sort of got any general guidelines you say to people around um, race nutrition and sample good examples of things that they can try to be having during the race to, to mm-hmm. just keep things sort of in check? Yeah, absolutely. So I start that conversation by asking them what they've been doing from a daily nutrition perspective. So if they, you know, we can do athlete A and athlete B. If athlete A has spent the last few months really trying to adapt their their daily nutrition into improving their body's ability to burn fat, so they're basically controlling blood sugar, controlling insulin, 
it's not high car- I'm sorry, it's not low carb, high fat. It's just controlling those nutrients, right? They're not going off the deep end. If they've done that, then the, the recommendations become pretty simple, to be honest with you. It's it's usually, you know, you have a, a decent what I call blood sugar stabilizing breakfast. And that usually for most athletes, that means a liquid, some type of smoothie, some type of drink where they can get a little bit of, of carbs, a little bit of fi- uh, protein, a little bit of fat. And usually that's done about two to three hours before the race. And then I'll have them, you know, probably just sip on uh, nothing too sugary. So here's here's the interesting part too. If if you put in a lot of just simple sugars 10, 30 minutes before the race, what happens is it, again, like I said earlier, spikes your blood insulin. So that's actually accelerating your body's ability to burn carbohydrate. And we only have, you know, 1,200 to 2,000 calories worth of carbohydrate stored in our body. So if you're per- turning on your carbohydrate burning that quickly before the race, you're tapping in to those glycogen stores. So you're going to be depleted a little bit sooner. And that's one of the biggest uh, detriments to, to race nutrition, especially for Ironman, is glycogen depletion. So what we want to do is, is have something that is a little bit more balanced with protein, fat, and carbohydrate. And that's, that's where I usually have my athletes do smoothies. You know, there's a lot of products out there. There's, you know, those, those Ensure, uh, the boosts mm-hmm. used to be out there, uh, you know, liquid meals. Essentially, there's a new, well, not, it's not new anymore, but the product that's been on the market, Generation You Can, which I think we can talk about a little bit mm-hmm. later too. That's a lot of athletes have been using that in their pre-race routine because it stabilizes blood sugar. And then they move to maybe the, the sport nutrition products during. So back to our athlete A, during the race, what I usually recommend because they are more metabolically efficient is really anywhere between about 50 and 150 calories per hour. That is all they will need. I mean, I just I just had a uh, an elite pro male Ironman do Sweden uh, a few months ago, and he did it in 8.59, did it on less than 100 calories per hour and just felt phenomenal. So, so why do you talk in calories instead of grams of carbohydrate? Is there? Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's a good point. It, you know, it's it's in my world, it's it's kind of interchangeable. Yeah. Um, I, I talk calories because in the U.S. That's you know people don't do grams here. We don't we don't like the metric system for <laughs> yeah, some reason, right? Yeah. So when you start talking grams to Americans, they're like, huh? Because <laughs> yeah, then they yeah. they have to do the math, right? So yeah, so that can I mean basically you're talking what about probably about twenty? Do I what would that be? Four, no, that'd be about fifteen ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, yeah. Now, so that's all good. I think I'm just getting my head around yeah. this. Oh, Bob, I got a couple questions. Well, oh, well, athlete. You want me to go to athlete B, who's go, who's go our yep. traditional high carb guy or girl? Go for it. Okay, so that's a, so these are the ones who I'm I'm trying to change from more of a health perspective. But say say athlete B comes in following a high carbohydrate diet. I call it a typical triathlon diet, typical Ironman diet, right? Typical high carb diet, maybe a little bit of protein, maybe a little bit of fat. But their their blood sugar is going up and down. Their body weight's going up and down. You know, they can't get rid of body fat, can't recover quickly. All the all those signs. Because they have a high carbohydrate diet going into the race, they actually need those 60 to 90 grams per hour during the race because they've taught their body to use more carbs. And if they don't give it during the race, they will bonk hard and quick. Mm -hmm. So they actually need those high boluses. And that's what I think a lot of the research isn't looking at is what are these athletes' daily diets looking at before we dump all these carbs in their body? Are they high carbohydrate guys and girls or are they low carbohydrate guys and girls? 
Mm, brilliant. So, well, well, one question that you know we need to explore here is that a lot of athletes are trying to lose weight. You know, um, mm-hmm. you know, and and you know, it's funny in Ironman that you do get a lot of overweight athletes for the amount of energy output yep. they do. Um, you know, what would be your guidelines around that? Because before you earlier on, you were talking about a little bit around how you know sometimes just to use your hunger as your gauge. But if anything, we've trained ourselves to eat so much. Like I don't do Ironman anymore, and I know when I stopped doing Ironman, I had to train myself to. To consume a lot less volume of food because, and I had to learn to be a little bit hungry for a period of time, just as I was shifting that volume that I needed. So, what would be your guidelines around, you know, because I'm sure a lot of people listening to this right now are trying to lose some weight. What yep. would be the way you'd approach it? Yeah. So, best thing again is is answer the question. You know, in terms of that nutrition periodization, where am I? In terms of my training, is it is it in an okay time of the year to try and lose weight? Like if I got my A race coming in two weeks, probably not the best time to think about weight loss, right? But but certainly afterwards, or if you have a few months to really explore this. So I think one of the the biggest things that we need to think about is is kind of back to my intro of this whole topic. We need to think about cycling our nutrients throughout the year, not only for performance, but but just like you were mentioning, when maybe you're in a taper in an off season, you've got to teach yourself to consume less, and that's where you can switch those nutrients around a little bit. So when athletes are looking for weight loss, and and we could talk about the health in terms of the blood lipids and the the risk of diseases also, but when we want weight loss, what we look at, and we know this hands down, we know lowering your carbohydrate intake, making sure protein is somewhat stable in your diet, and increasing your fat, not necessarily this low-carb, high-fat, but just controlling your carbohydrates, maybe, you know, if we're talking grams, maybe around that 100 to 150 grams a day, and that's aggressive if you're if you're training, right? And that's why we recommend weight loss maybe not in the aggressive training cycle. So you're talking 100, 150 grams a day of carbohydrate, fill in some fat there, that will induce weight loss. And 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 not quickly and not unsafely. You know, usually the first mm-hmm. thing that goes from the body is water. But if they maintain that, and that's why I look at trying to get athletes to do this for a few months, because if they can maintain that and not sacrifice their performance, if they're not in a build cycle or competition cycle, they'll actually start to see body fat loss also. And so initially, people are very excited. They step on the scale. Wow, I'm five pounds down. Don't get too excited. That's just water, right? That's not sustainable weight loss, right? Sustainable weight loss comes usually four, eight, 12 weeks later when you see the numbers in your body composition change. Mm. That makes sense. And that's really, it's all about just controlling, like I said, the two ends of the teeter-totter, the carbohydrate and the fat. But I don't, I don't recommend that usually during an on-season because it's, it's very dangerous for a lot of people because they don't know how to do it. You know, they, they either jump in two feet first and say, I'm going 50 grams of carbs a day and you know, 80% of my calories are, are fat now. And that's not sustainable. You know, that, they're just, they're going to be grumpy. They're not going to be able to train. They're not going to be able to do anything. So we kind of have to control those nutrients a little bit more. So, so your recommendation would be to figure out, you know, where you are within um, the carbohydrate consumption. And if you are trying to lose a little bit of weight, just kind of slowly reduce that to a point, depending on where you are within your kind of training season. But Absolutely. let's say you, you have got the time to now focus on losing weight. It'd be about reducing carbohydrate at slower levels to figure out what point do I start to lose to become leaner, basically. Absolutely, because because there's going to be that tipping point for every single athlete, right? And and you may it may be 200 grams a day for you, but it may take 100 grams a day for me of yeah. carbohydrate, right? Because yeah. we're different. And you know, I, I call this concept. I've got a lot of concepts in my brain. I call it carbohydrate unloading. Okay. So say you're say you're eating 500 grams of carbs a day. You know, next week, let's try to get it to 400 grams of carbs a day, you know, yeah. and then let that be the week and let's see how your body responds to that. And also, and I think one important message for everyone to remember when you're trying to lose weight is patience is uh, pretty oh. important. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's not, and it's really not about even the first couple of weeks. Cause that's, like I said, it's usually about water. You've got to kind of be it, be in it for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you can do is go and get Bob's metabolic efficiency book from fuel for Mance. We'll put the, put all the web links up on uh, fuel. It's fuel for performance. Yeah, that's a hard one. <laughs> we'll put a link yeah, to it. You've gone and chucked that four in there and it's throwing us. <laughs> um, before, I want to go on to metabolic efficiency testing in, in just a second, but can you just oh, talk yeah. a bit about um, Generation UCAN? Because I've, I've literally just oh, had yeah. some arrive. And um, what's the sort of concept b- behind that um, and, and whether people generally use it a lot in racing or just as a, as a pre-race thing or what's it sort of yeah. trying to achieve? What, what is it? It's a... It's a great question. So this is it's a starch-based product. So there are no simple sugars in there. They actually they start with a a, a non-GMO corn, right? And they through a patent process, they basically just cook it. I think it. I think they told me it takes like forty hours to to per batch to to do this. But they it's just a blend of of cooking in in water basically, and they manipulate this starch, this non-GMO starch, to elongate the molecule. So basically, here's the thing: it digests, it gets out of your stomach very quick. But it 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 uh, it dissolves or digests very slow through your small intestine once it's absorbed. So it's kind of a beautiful thing in controlling blood sugar. I've got you know, and it doesn't you know, it's like uh, you know, it doesn't have any simple sugars in it. It tastes a little bit different. Yeah. Absolutely, like you have to. You have to know that ahead of time, or else it's a little bit of a shocking experience, right? So no, <laughs> but but yeah, but every you know every athlete I've used this on, tremendous, just phenomenal phenomenal uh, feedback in, in performance. So to your question, most of my athletes will use it um, either the protein version or they'll take a non-protein version and maybe mix a little bit of whey protein or really their choice of protein and they use it before training or before racing. I have a lot of my athletes dosing like one to two servings about 30 to 60 minutes before heading out the door. Because it's so, and it's not fast acting, right? So it gives you, like, you probably go on a couple servings, you know, two hours training session. Um, so, so it doesn't need that traditional one to three hours that we've always said for normal meals and, and traditional sugars because it empties the stomach pretty quickly. Some of my athletes uh, will do it during, and I will tell you this though, I've, my, my, my thought process and what I've been seeing with the athletes I've worked with is the longer. And the lower intensity, and I'm not talking, you know, going for a walk, but like my ultra marathoners, my ultra bikers, maybe a little bit slower Ironman athletes will use Generation You Can during a race because, again, it doesn't, it doesn't, it provides you more sustained energy rather than that quote unquote quick energy from simple sugars. My faster guys and girls um, will still do that, but they'll offset a Generation You Can non protein version with a simple sugar product every other feeding right okay. so they're kind yeah. of getting the best of, best of both worlds there okay mm. interesting now, um now. okay is, is there anything else you want to say about you can there i think you know i think it's uh you know three years ago and i think it's been out for three or three and a half years ago when it first hit the market it's been uh you know it's taken them some time to actually get the word out but this this product alone has completely changed the way that i do business with endurance athletes it is just it's made my job so much easier because it, it has lessened the GI distress response in the majority of athletes I work with now. So it's mm. it's kind of my go-to, especially before training or racing, it's kind of my go-to product now. Nice. Very good. You, you, you're even on the site. They've quoted you on the site, mate. So you must you must be doing something right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I recently went off and, and had a metabolic efficiency test, which was all yes. um, good and well. And I guess um, – 
Yeah, I'm interested to hear what you... If, if other people are out there, I know you, I, I'm pretty sure you have the facilities there to do it for people that yep. are local to, to you. Um, yep. So I've gone and got a metabolic efficiency test done. I've got the nice graphs. I'll, I'll put, we'll have this up on the show notes, guys, so you can see the results of my test. Um, and, and, and I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it, but it sort of goes through, and it, and it seems that, you know, when I'm... Going through my lower intensities, I'm sort of sitting, I'm burning a little bit more fat than carbs, sort of sitting around just under 60% fat and, and just over 40 for for carbs. And I go along and I basically get to just, just about Ironman intensity or just below Ironman intensity and they sort of cross over and then all of a sudden I start burning a lot more carbohydrates to, mm. to fat. So I guess my question is for you. I've got this information here now. Now, what do, what do I do with it? <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah, that's a great question. And you know, to your point, I think it's you know for athletes to be able to uh, run some what I call running diagnostics on themselves. Uh, doing this type of testing gives you so much great information. Of course, if you know what to do with it, right? <laughs> um, but but this is you know, and it sounds like you guys have facilities. There's a lot of facilities in the U.S. There's not a lot of people who can interpret it correctly, though, right? Yeah. So they look at the numbers. They give you maybe if you do the LT at the same time, they give you your lactate threshold. They they say here's your crossover, your metabolic efficiency point, but they don't know what to do next, right? A lot of times what, what we need to do next is actually implement smart dietary strategies, right, from your daily nutrition rather than any exercise implementation strategies. So it you know, it, it obviously depends on the athlete. And you know, certainly what, what I saw with your what what is your what is your Ironman intensity in terms it'd, of the watts? It'd be around about two hundred and twenty five to two hundred and thirty okay. thirty watts, okay. hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, you know, I was looking at the raw data that you sent me, and just looking at your RER, and, and just a little brief explanation of what RER is. That's it's called your respiratory exchange ratio, and it's it's basically the the association or the relationship between the oxygen that you are consuming during that test versus the carbon dioxide that you're expelling during that test. That one number tells us the blend of carbohydrate to, to fat oxidation or burning, right? Mm-hmm. So I was I was looking at those and I was noticing, you know, kind of the, the same thing that that you are and I see this in, in a lot, a lot of endurance athletes that they actually have their metabolic efficiency point where and that is where carbohydrate and, and, and fat cross, they have that point a lot lower than their lactate threshold. And that's very, very common because mm-hmm. That you're you're training your body from a performance perspective. You're doing your zone four, your zone five training. You're getting your LT up. You're getting you know basically performance ready, but a lot of times our diet isn't supporting that. So I don't want to say in an ideal world, but a lot of athletes after they they manipulate their nutrition, their daily nutrition to support their their metabolic efficiency goals, you can actually move your metabolic efficiency in terms of what watts or what what uh, heart rate you have or even velocity if you're doing on a treadmill, what pace, you can move that closer to your LT, to your lactate threshold. Mm. And that's the kind of, that's kind of the whole goal of getting this test done is to say, number one, do I cross over? Do I have a metabolic efficiency point? And two, where is it? Because once you find it, then you can change it. So I guess to your point, what do you do with this data, with this number? You try to get your metabolic efficiency point. So basically, your body's ability to burn fat, you try to get that at a higher intensity, closer to your threshold. So when you're racing, you can rely more on fats. And that's not going to be detrimental to speed because, I mean, the testing tells you if you're at 225 and you can burn more fat at 225 watts, 
you're preserving your glycogen stores. So what if you've got some surges at 250, 275, 300 watts? If you've got some surges, you'll have those carbohydrate stores ready to counterbalance or counteract those surges. So this testing allows you to, to, to know and develop a nutrition plan sometimes an exercise or a training plan, but mostly a nutrition plan to get that metabolic efficiency closer to your performance LT. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, and I mean, I guess the key thing that I was going to be doing is, is we're sort of pre-season for me over here and, mm-hmm. um, and I haven't been making many modifications to my diet um, before right. I got the test done. Then I'll go back in January um, when I'm sort of in race, race fitness and get the test yep. redone then and, um, and see what sort of changes we've made. Well, I was yeah. saying that, Bob, based on what you're saying earlier, John's better to make sure, like it's about now about making the change to his diet, isn't it, to bring the efficiency down, isn't it? This is the optimal time. You've got a couple months to, you know, and again, it doesn't have to be the low-carb, high-fat, you know, completely disengaging from carbohydrates in your diet. It's just about balancing, you know, kind of that hand model a little bit more, that one-to-one, two-to-one ratio a little bit. Mm, cool. Um <laughs> What else did I have down here? He's got, he's, seriously, oh, have you got have you all day? Because he's got like a million know, questions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've covered most of it. I hope, I hope, you're, I hope, you're, I hope to see your kids tonight. We had, you know? we, had a number, yeah. we had a number of questions around ketones and ketosis and stuff, and I, I don't know if I really want to go into that. That's all just um, that's, that's pretty full-on stuff. Um, yeah, I, I guess I guess my main, probably my final question is, um, yeah, we had a question in from from Nick Rose, and he's he's uh, sort of saying, you know, he goes to work and has um, before work he has toast and banana for breakfast, and he has sandwich for lunch, and then he has sort of a, a carbohydrate based um, diet for dinner, maybe a chicken pie with potatoes and peas, and and you know, very very high carb um, diet. Uh, I, I guess just for for the people like that who who, who do follow that very I guess old school traditional high carb diet. Just some general recommendations or or, or or ideas or websites you can you can send them off to to to, to try to sort of just start that process in the right direction because it is pretty hard to go cold turkey straight away. But um, yeah. just some general advice and and maybe just talk about some of your products you've got in terms of your books, your recipe books, or yeah. just some general advice how they can sort of take the step in the right direction. Yeah, it's a great, uh, great fear, great question. So my first recommendation is to go to their physician and get blood work done. And, and I say that because what I've been noticing in the past few years in, in working with endurance athletes specifically is when they are on these high-carbohydrate diets, if they have any genetic predisposition to, to chronic diseases, diabetes, you know, obesity, heart disease, you name it, right? If they have any genetic predisposition – that may show up in their blood work, and it's just a basic blood lipid test, you know, where they're looking at your cholesterol, your HDL, your LDL. Even better to look at the particle size. But, but I, I, I digress from that. Get your blood work done because that that is actually what cha- what made me change to controlling my carbohydrates. Because you know, just because you look healthy doesn't mean you're necessarily healthy. You can go fast, but maybe your health is being compromised by those carbohydrates. So get your blood work done. That may tell you which uh, which avenue to take in terms of your daily nutrition. From there, then you just start slowly, right? If you're ready to make that change, you know, in, instead of some 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 toast and, and fruit in the morning, you know, depending on convenience and time, maybe you can have some scrambled eggs. Maybe you can have some hard boiled eggs. Uh, you know, a lot of times the, the the cereal and the milk 
completely being phased out of athletes' uh, daily nutrition plans now. It's just it's 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 practical from a time perspective, but they find that athletes when they do that, or even like the toast and, and banana or something, they get hungry about an hour later. So it's it's really playing with their their insulin control. So easy to do. Uh, my favorite is just a smoothie, right? You throw some your choice mm-hmm. of milk. It could be coconut milk. There's a coconut again, right? Mm-hmm. Coconut milk could be almond milk if you like cow's milk. Throw some milk in there. Throw some water in there. I've got a whole combination that I put in. Put in a lot of veggies, spinach, kale, beets, carrots. Put in one one piece of fruit for a little bit of sweetener. Um, I'll actually put some olive oil in there, or your choice of oil it could be coconut oil. Uh, I'll put uh, you know sometimes some peanut butter in there and some some protein powder of my choice to get the protein up a little bit. Call it good. That is one of the best things that an endurance athlete can do, especially in the morning, especially if they're training, uh, because it's 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 easy to get down. They don't have to drink much of it. They can have it post workout. They can bring it to work. They can bring it in the car. So I think that's probably my go to breakfast. And in terms of of fixing everything else, you know what I would say for the sandwich is make sure right now if you're still using bread, make sure you have enough meat on your sandwich. So instead of just being able to see the bread when it's crunched together, make sure you can see the middle. So add maybe a little bit more protein to it, a little bit more meat. Maybe put some lettuce, put some tomatoes, put whatever you like on it to kind of color it up a little bit. That's the first stage, and obviously you can go down that road of of getting rid of bread or doing a tortilla for a wrap. That'll get rid of that'll that'll basically help control the carbohydrate to protein ratio a little bit, um, you know. But but what I would say is, like you were mentioning, don't jump into it cold feet and cold turkey because it is so difficult. Because whenever you make a, a nutrition change, it's really about changing your behavior. If you're not ready to change your behavior, you're not going to change it. If you've changed it in the past and you haven't had success with it. You have to go slow. You have to give yourself some time. But there are some different strategies. And you know, you mentioned my I have a metabolic efficiency recipe book. It's got over hundred recipes in it. It's an ebook. It's easy to download. You can find some different different and fun ways and quick ways to actually satisfy your blood sugar needs and in controlling your insulin without having to do a lot of, you know, processed starchy carbohydrates, you know. Add more fruits, add more more veggies for sure. And you know, have some nuts every so often and, and you know. Make sure you're balancing out your protein and your fat. But there's there's a lot of easy ways to manipulate a controlled carbohydrate diet without going completely on a low carb, high fat diet. Not many people, not many endurance athletes. Let me put it this way: can pull that off and have good sustained performance unless they cycle it mostly during their off season. Mm, awesome. Um, so, guys, if you want to check out Bob's work, he's got he's got a few websites. Which one would be the one that is probably best to point people to, mate? Yeah, definitely the one that you guys are having a, a problem with, the fuelformance.com. <laughs> fuelformance. Okay, so it's fuel, the word fuel, then the number four, fuel. and yeah. then mance, dot com. We'll put a link to that on www.imtalk.me, guys. So if you want to go to that, we'll put it there. Bob, it's been absolutely brilliant. You've really helped clear up a lot of things for, for me personally and, and I'm sure for a lot of the listeners. So it'll be yeah. fa- fantastic to get you on. Yeah, it is time. great, mate, because the, the thing is we, we have these discussions, but the guidelines are always very vague. And so, you know, like it's yeah. nice to have this conversation and go, okay, well, here's what we need to be thinking about because right. I think a lot of people, you know, every day of nutrition is another theory out there. And so, you know, and I think one of the downfalls is that people are just shifting their diets all the time and you know whatever the latest fad is people are shifting towards that and I think one of the most important things is is what's a consistent message that we can work on and actually try to find a way of living towards as we kind of, as a long term solution not as in just what's the quick fix now 
Mm. Absolutely. And yeah. I think that's where that, that concept of nutrition periodization really fits in. I mean, if you're an athlete, you've got to think outside the box and think, what is my training cycle? What is, what is, what is my nutrition going to support or have to support this particular training cycle? Mm. Instead of following the latest fad diet, it's just shifting the nutrients around a little bit. Yeah. Awesome. Oh. So, so guys, do go check out Bob's website. I've, I've got um, his metabolic efficiency book. I've got his uh, recipe book as well. So, so Bob's given up plenty of his time today. So support what he's doing and get yourselves uh, racing fast. So thanks very much, Bob. And uh, we oh, look forward to catching pleasure. up with you. Absolutely. Anytime you want me on, you just let me know. Cool. Okay, thanks, Bob. Great. Interview a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Did we do it last Maybe week? last week. Thoughts? Really, really good. And... I think well, out of this whole series, what's really, I think, good for a lot of athletes to maybe learn, and in my opinion, we've had this big stigma that fat is terrible for, for a very long period of time. And in my opinion, fat does not need to be the, the massive big evil that a lot of people think that it is. There's no problem having some fat in your diet. Uh, and then I guess the other thing is for so long, and I've been indoctrinated into this, it's just been carbs, carbs, carbs. And when I was, you know, racing full time and stuff it was it was all about the carbs and we've just done this big u-turn and 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 then all of a sudden we're thinking carbs are, again carbs are the evil we've had these high fat low high no fat carbs. low carbs we're thinking, oh we can't touch your carbs sort of thing and i think bob just rounds it off really nicely saying no carbs are important and it depends where you are on that spectrum and i had it illustrated to me very very nicely at the weekend so i did a four-hour bike ride and basically wanted to sit out and and ride a little bit above Ironman effort, and I think I ended up riding just a little bit too hard at times. And so it was basically four hours. Actually, John, mm-hmm. I was on Instagram. Mm-hmm. You took a photo, put it on Instagram. That was from uh, well, you know me on Instagram. Yeah. I don't do anything on Instagram. I have somebody else who posts pictures for me. Who did that for secretary, you, secretary Belinda? But you, but you took. The I photo. took the pictures, which was from my blog, and she decided she posted on Instagram. Anyway, the husband's ride was it? <laughs> it's the young what did I call it the, the young husband young, young, not, young dads young stop, kids stop calling yourself young mate where old are you now we're young dads you're middle age 37 middle age because it was four of, it was five of us and we we're all about the same age we're all about the same ability in terms of people don't get dropped so you don't have to wait around and we've all got young kids so there's no dramas going for a long ride at six o'clock on a Sunday morning yep. but anyway my point was yeah, you know, I've done a few long rides recently and just long easy to steady rides, no dramas, hardly eating anything at all and really yeah, burning, trying to focus on becoming more metabolic efficient, metabolically efficient, burning my fat. This ride here, I'm riding, I didn't need my power meter, which was doing my head in, and my heart Why? rate was 200 metres, my bike's getting fixed. Oh. And so I was going off field, but I've had, had a feel that I was above Ironman effort, and so and that was for over you know, four hours, about three hours, 15 in, the wheels started coming off yeah, pretty and rapidly. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I hadn't fueled myself appropriately during the session. Still been eating, but not appropriately. And that was really evident on my metabolic efficiency test is once I go above Ironman effort, massive change in terms of my ability to use fat as a store versus carbohydrate. So if I'm not fueling on carbohydrate, I'm going to get into trouble um, relatively quickly. Now, hopefully over time, I can move, shift my curve a bit to the right. So what, at that intensity, I still am using more fat, but right now I'm not, and I paid a pretty heavy price for it, and and, and just came home in a blithering mess, basically. <laughs> Sean O'Porno came to my place to, to get picks sunk up. I said, "You're not getting anything until I've had something to eat," <laughs> and so I was slamming stuff into my smoothie, my spinach, and my execute, and all the stuff. I said, "Just wait." He was like 20 minutes to get me to his wife for breakfast. I said, "You just got to chill out because I'm smoked." <laughs> Beyond smoke. Anyway, so but I just think 
Bob's advice fits in pretty much with what I've been doing and I like his style. So because so, so he agrees with you. <laughs> well, no, it just helps with that, yeah. No, I think it was, it was a good interview and there's some really good guidelines here and I think that's what we I've been frustrated by is that we've had this discussion but there's been no real guidelines and, and he gave some good clarification around that. So very good. Uh, John, have we got another sponsor? We have got Coffees of Hawaii. Coffees of Hawaii. Oh, sponsor, Coffees of Hawaii. Tell us about Coffees of Hawaii, Bevan. Okay, I'm going to pop the website. Coffees of Hawaii is the world's best coffee. Is it? Yes, I've just claimed it. You have? Yep. Yep. Tell you what, we will get a... Uh, well, why, why do Americans do coffee than the rest of the world, different to the rest of the world, John? What do you mean? They always have the plunger in America, don't they? Oh, I wouldn't say that. When we go to coffee shops in America, they don't get out the big steam, that big machine that New Zealanders have. You go to a coffee shop in New Zealand, they bang. In America, they just pull something out and pour it. Okay. We were in LA, we were in New York. Really? There's no experience around the coffee. Huh. And it seemed like they use percolated coffee. That's interesting. Yeah. Tell you what, whoever wins our voluntary subscription to I'm Talk for coming to Kona next year, we'll make sure you get some coffee when you're there. Is that what we're going to call it? The I'm Talk voluntary subscription? <laughs> yeah. Championship. Oh, okay. We don't want to go breaking any rules no, and laws no, and stuff. No. So get on at coffeesofwai.com. All they still look like they've still got a bit of the uh, queen of the Kahumani coffee with Chrissy on the front. And so get yourself some of that, the living legend that she is. Well, I think depending on where you are in the world right now, one thing you can definitely look at is getting some iced coffee. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you're heading into your summer and you want, you know, instead of drinking a beer on a Saturday afternoon on the, on the deck. Think of all those carbs. Think of the carbs. Mm. <laughs> but you get a kick from the coffee, a nice iced coffee. Mm-hmm. What do you, how do you make a good iced coffee? A bit of milk? Do you do it milk only? Well, I've even got instructions on Coffees of Hawaii website. Hey, go there. They there give you, you the instructions. Yeah. Easy mode. They've even got cold water brewing system. The other thing I'm going to try to throw into the mix in terms of part of the prize for the voluntary subscription, you get to swim out to the Coffees of Hawaii boat. No charge. The, the, no it's charge. on the house? Yeah, that one's See, on the house. What else can we get them that, that's really mind-blowing? Probably have to get them, um, get them a sample of extreme endurance. Yep. Yeah. yeah, example of extreme endurance. Um, probably getting, we'll probably organise a big undie run for you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll put on this big undie run where everyone will turn up just for you. You can go to the Parade of Nations as me. Parade of Nations as John Newsom. I'll give you my t shirt. <laughs> you can represent New Zealand. Yeah. yeah. That's what we'll do. You have to do all the, the first time experienced persons, Ironman experience under John Newsom's name. You've got to go around the expo that I won't be doing with you this year and do silly interviews. So, so, so you might have to help me out on that stuff if you might. Yes. Yeah. So you may even have to help me do some interviews. Because mm. are you going to help me do interviews? Uh, somewhat limited. It depends where it is. This is a joke. No, it's not. I'll, so, so I'll basically, be there for an extra week before. I will be preloading all the interviews. Are you really? Yes, I am. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. So you'll do work in that week before? I will. I'll be bumping into pros. Why don't I get to go for two weeks? You can come for two weeks if you want. Okay. Yeah. I'll do two weeks. Fine. I get a good life. I can take two weeks off. Yeah. It's a good thing about my life. I don't work for anyone, so I can take holidays whenever I want. It's fine. Yep, I'm gonna take six weeks. That's fine. <laughs> Get lots of interviews. Yep. Happy, happy to have you there. And then when you're in, then you're there. You also be have to get coffees of Hawaii um, drink because mm-hmm. they have a drink on the boat, mm-hmm. free charge. And you also get the chance to try to go to the bottom of the water at the boat. Mm-hmm. It's all happening. Is Albert going to be there next year? Don't know. Yeah, because I think he's pulled away from Ironman now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. 
Righty ho. If you want any coffees of Hawaii, go to coffeesofhawaii.com. If you want any of the promo codes, go to imtalk.me. We've got them listed up there. I was on, I was on the internet last night. Ben, we've got to move things along. Our Legends interview's coming up, so okay, just stop quickly, rambling. Just quick. <laughs> <laughs> women absorb coffee faster than men. Good for women. 25% faster. Nice. Christians and that's a... Let's save this for next week. Oh, there's quite a few. Okay, let's give a quick couple plugs. Yeah. Luke Peel, was it? Luke Peel? He's saying, look, he picked the dark horses and, and we didn't say it on the show. He said, Kanana to prove um, Sutton can coach men too. He didn't finish in the top, would I say top five or top? I, I said, Kanana had a great race. Yeah, he did, but he didn't get on the podium. The, no. Didn't we say just dark horses top five? No, it was, it was who's going to get on the podium. I'm almost positive it said, who's going to get on the podium that hasn't been in the top five before? So you're going to give Luke no love? I'm not going to give Luke any love. Luke? <laughs> no. <laughs> Screw you, Luke. We're Blatchford. <laughs> a few people picked her. If he picked her, I apologise. Okay, so he gets half love. Yes. You get some half love. Yes. You get, you get love him, but you don't get the cut or anything. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> um, and someone, um, Nathan sent through, Nathan... Newcastle sent through um, a good website called The Secret Pro and it's on cyclingtips.com.au and it's a pro who's within the cycling world who writes articles that are kind of under the table. So apparently it's a pretty good read. Nice. And then just lastly, John Adams got, love the show, I'd like to ask you to mention my mate Cormac the Mighty Duck Ryan from somewhere, Tala. Tala. This is Age Group of the Week. Save this bad boy. It's not Age Group of the Week. Well, we'll give it to him. Okay, Age Group of the Week. Oh. Well, we've restarted it now. Do you want to wait? Do you want to wait? Hold it back. Okay. Well, but, <laughs> call Mac. It's coming. This didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> this didn't happen. You're stealing content from me, Bev, and I have to save this stuff. Oh, okay. What about Joe Carey? If, you, if you've got, we could do that. If you've got some more age group nominations, send them through because we're a bit bit thin, and uh, we'll, we'll need okay. some because over the summer month, our summer months, a lot less racing. So we need more age groups. We need more websites. Anything you like to send through, flick it on through. Okay, Jumbo. Well, I tell you what, Joe Carrot, mm-hmm. epicwomancamp.com. So it's actually Tara Norton who, who runs these, but Joe and Tara are going to do a camp in Lanzagrotti in 2014. You can go to epicwomancamp.com. Based on the success of Epic Camps run by Scott Newsom and John, I mean, Scott, Scott Molina. Newsom and John, yeah, John Molina. You can do that nowadays. Yeah. And John Newsom. Epic Woman Camps are designed to provide women athletes with an opportunity to do high-volume swim, bike, and run training with like-minded and dedicated athletes in order to take their fitness and mental abilities to the next level. So check it out. If you want to go to Lanzagrotti, February 21st to the 2nd of March. Tell you what, Tara's kid's pretty cute. She's on Instagram. Is she? Yeah, and oh. she had some Instagram photos on there, and, uh, yeah. and I checked out. She's got some of her kid. They do this thing where they kissed all right. And it was pretty cute. Yeah, yeah. John, you, you sure you saw that on Instagram? Instagram on there all the time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, guys, if, you wanted, if, you, if you're a chick, yep. you can't do it if you're a guy. No. Well, then there's a photo they've got two guys. Support crew. Well, why is the guy wearing the gear? He's just <laughs> he's one of those guys. That's David. <laughs> David who? David. He's at Kona. We've met him several times. David there in the gear? In the orange, yeah. Orange down on the right-hand side. Don't know about the guy on the left. I'm not quite sure I recognise him. I can't recognise him from, from this photo. You just have no... Oh, just, just so just, selfish. Yeah. I only think about myself. Yeah. Okay, John, sponsors. Coffeesofway.com. Oh, we'll put a link to the Epic Woman Camp on imtalk.me. Um, yes. Athlinks.com. Do it. Extreme endurance. Do it. And SLS Try. Do it. We can talk about SLS Try next week. No, yeah, next week. Okay, Jumbo, what's your loss? 
What's my goss? Uh, I'm getting. I'm excited. Pretty excited about this. I'm going to join the Cory Club. John, don't do it. Yes, it's actually going to. It's almost going to save me money. No, no, and no, it is. Hey, tell me this because I've looked at it and it's no, no, it is. It's a lot of money. It's so it's going to cost me seven hundred fifty-five dollars. Yeah, but you got your joining fee as well. They're no, that's included. That's included. Seven fifty. Okay, seven fifty-five. Seven fifty-five. It's going to cost me one hundred fifty dollars, basically. Why? Because when you travel, with, when you got that, you get an extra piece of baggage per flight. I'm going to Kona twice, and I'm going to Canada. That's six flights. That's six hundred dollars. It's only cost me one hundred fifty dollars. Okay, that's a good call. I was happy about that. 150, and then if you go on all those flights, you get the lounge. Yes, and Wi-Fi and all the all the lounges and stuff. I'm yep. pretty happy about that. Okay, fair enough. That was my big news from yesterday. Yeah, what made you decide to do that? Well, as I said, to Belinda, she she has this because the problem with our listeners, you guys are rich and you've got bloody business. You know. Oh yeah. They know that we're paupers. Yeah, John and I. If we're paupers. We actually do this from a shack. Yes. This is a show. Yeah. You hear that wind hustling yep, around the shack. Yeah. And the, the walls are falling down. No. Phil, I was just saying there's some specials on to Hawaii at the moment. I looked on there. I thought, and I said that to Phil. I said there's some specials on, but you got to pay for that. You know, 95 bucks extra for extra baggage allowance on Air New Zealand. And uh, I said, oh, I'll get that. 95? Yeah. Yeah. I said, uh, well, Cory Lounge, Cory Club, you get extra bags. So it's no problems. I said, I'm on it. Oh. So I'm excited. It is good. Oh, the only problem is, John, is you do tend to get fat when you do Cora Lounge. Because you think of you always aim for more meals on the plane. Because mm. I get Cora Lounge, probably when I fly a suit, and I've, got a, I've got a lounge with one company, like with the Asian ones, so I can do that. But I haven't got it with a New Zealand one. Yeah. But often my friends also, you go with your mate. And, uh, and, and unlimited food, John, it's not a good thing. It's okay. I won't book any food. You've got to book food for the flights these days. So I, or, or some flights, anyway. What do you mean? If you're Vijo. No, some I don't know if the food's included. You know what it's like these uh, days. Are we going to fight in New Zealand this time? We're looking more promising now. Oh, you're a Cairo club. We have to, don't we? Yes. Yeah. Well, no, it is, they've, they've changed their flights, and it's looking it's looking more promising. Oh, good. Mm. Good because I don't want to go. To, sorry again. Oh, you're such. A, you're a woman. No, just you're like this, my wife. It sucked. It was fine. It was not. And you know it. it's fine. It was not, John. We couldn't even play Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Uh, just get your Candy Crush out. Candy Crush? Do you play that? Yeah. Do you, are you addicted it to Candy on, Crush? It was on the news last night. So did you, did you get it? I've had John, it you, you've, you've changed. Because you used to go, Ooh, stupid games, I never play games. <laughs> <laughs> now look at you. Okay, the big question, and here's the big question. Have you spent any money on it? No. And I will not. <laughs> I won't. I have not, and I will not. You sure? You no, I won't. Because well, how does it work? Absolutely guarantee I won't. I'm up to. I think I'm up to level twenty-seven. Is that good? I wouldn't even I've know. I've got no idea. I think it's probably actually pretty crap. Yeah. But I think if you would, if you do want to keep going, then you're gonna have to start spending money. Yeah. See, I'll be. I'm, I'm gonna ask you another couple of weeks from now. You're gonna get a thousand bucks. No way. See, they so they had a piece on the news last night. Five six hundred thirty-six thousand a day. They got like a two hundred fifty million mm. for a stupid game. We're gonna wrap this up, Evan. Sorry, oh, we do sorry. have to wrap it up. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm well, just what's, doing nothing. What's been happening with you? We're going to wrap it up. I'm going to go put my sign on your fence. That's exciting for you. That's good. Yes, yeah. great. Yeah. I'm not playing Candy Crush. I'm staying away from it. Are Do you, you find you're spending a lot of time on it? No. How many hours a day? <laughs> five. See, too much no. time. If I played every second day for five minutes, that would be about it. I play I play every lunchtime. I play Yahtzee. No. no. Yahtzee. I have six games of Yahtzee while I suck my banana cake. Yeah. I literally suck it. I freeze it and I suck it so I get as much flavor out as possible. Very good. Yeah, there we go. Okay, okay. Yeah. it's a wrap. I'm Russ. I'm Indo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. kaha.